Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires... Get into Dobbs. Forced ahead by Cairo to a breakaway. Thomas to Tarasenko to Thomas. He scores! Two on the goaltender and they tic-tac-toed it to the back of the net. Robert Thomas has put the Blues on top, one nothing. Tarasenko onto the tape of Cairo. Nice hesitation move. He's in. He shoots. He scores. Left side. Cairo. Welcome back. Down low to Tarasenko. Score. Three points in the game for Vladimir. And his first goal of the game gives the Blues a three to two lead. Hey, welcome in to BK and Ferrario here on a Wednesday, Thursday edition (laughs) of the show with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's weird. We've had a full week of work this week, Alex. I'm not prepared for this. Yeah, but it's usually because we're at 10 a.m. and we're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, some of us have uh, been doing the 10 a.m. hour for a minute now. Jesus, we're back to this again? <laughs> yep, that's right. All right, so a big win for the Blues last night. That's what it sounded like right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale on the call. Alex, I think you can make a case that was the most impressive win of the season for the Blues. Given the, sh- given the shutdown or pause, however you want to look at it, Given the fact that Bennington just looked okay in his first return or first game back against Winnipeg, given how many guys were returning to the ice, coming back from injury and COVID and everything else, and the opponent, when you combine everything that was going into this game, and then having watched all of the game on games on Wednesday or Tuesday night, that ended up scoring like ten goals on average. I thought that was as impressive as the Blues have looked all season, given all of the circumstances. I'm with you, and I said it on postgame last night. The only one that I can argue was more impressive was that Florida Panthers overtime game, and that was because they were shorthanded, and you had Charlie Lindgren play the final minutes when Huso had to exit early, but that had different circumstances to it. That was a game that I think you basically had nothing to lose because you were down a guy. You didn't have your goaltenders. Nobody was playing for you that you needed. That's fair. This was more impressive, though, because you had three guys coming back into the game. You find out late that one of your hottest players is not playing. The guy that we all said at least is in the argument for most indispensable in Pavel Buchnevich. A hundred percent. But think about this. You had three guys come back that hadn't played a combined 22 games this season. And two of those three combined for seven points for you. Like Kairou and Thomas were thrown with Tarasenko because of Buchnevich's late scratch. And they come out and they score two goals in the first period. 
to me, that's what was really impressive about this. On top of the fact that your defense eliminated Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. By the way, guess which line was against him most of the night? It was that Robert Thomas line. Well, yeah, Thomas matched up with Dreisaitl and Ryan O'Reilly matched up with McDavid. And I mean, we understand why that that works. Yeah. The only reason Dreisaitl scored was because they got caught in a late shift with two guys in the offensive zone and they were combining between Thomas's line and third line. So in my opinion, your defense eliminated basically the current Hull and Oates in the National Hockey League. For real this time. For real this time. <laughs> I'm not making comps up. And I was more so impressed by the defense because I thought Pareko and Mikola, Krug and Falk, I thought those four just proved to a lot of doubters that they can be top four defensemen for this Blues team. So I'm with you. This was about as impressive of a victory as you'll see this season. I was I was one of those that I was heading into that game. There were two areas I was kind of thinking, okay, what will they look like just as a whole? And it was defense, and it was going to be special teams. And the special teams looked great again last night on the power play, and the PK was solid. And then I look at the defense, and you, like you said, they shut down Dreisaitl, they shut down McDavid. I thought, you know, Mikula had been building positive momentum. Scandella had been building positive momentum. And I was curious what they were going to look like with the pause. And they didn't take a step back. So I, I'm with you. Probably second most impressive one of the year for the Blues. And it, it makes me start to really raise that bar of, okay, this team might be. I, I know we've talked to Mike Rupp yesterday saying this could be a dark horse for Stanley Cup. I don't know if we should throw them as a dark horse. I, I think they should be viewed as. No, no. Keep them the as a dark horse. Top, oh, sorry. Never mind. They're dark horse. No, no. Stanley they Cup. suck. Remember, they're never going to win yeah, the Cup. Suck. Let's do it this way. Be a top four defenseman and a goalie. There we go. Whoa. Oh, I loved what you saw last night because there were so many questions about and curves mentioned this with us yesterday. Uh, what is this team going to look like when they get their guys back? Yeah. Are they going to play the same style of hockey as we had seen from them previously? The answer was just yes. Like they, they played north and south. They were they were putting pucks on net like all of the cliches that you can use. That is just like this is Craig Berube style hockey. It looked like that last night. That was just a really fun game to watch. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of times during the course of a regular season where you come out of a game and you're like, they won. I'm not sure we learned a whole lot out of that game. And it wasn't all that much fun to watch, but they won. And that's yeah. all that matters. It was a win. They didn't deserve to win. Last night was not that mm-hmm. last night. You left the game feeling really good about what the blues are. And Alex, I think there's one reason in particular as to why it's everything that we've already mentioned, but also that Thomas Tarasenko Kairou line, what we saw from them, I do think is telling on what this team can be moving forward. Here's what Craig Berube had to say about that line last night. You know, not just the goals, but just the overall play. I thought they possessed pucks and did good things with it. I thought they worked hard without the puck and um, they were committed defensively. That's a big part of it, especially when you're out there against, you know, that line is matched up against the dry saddle line all night. And they did a good job. They didn't get scored on and they, they produced. I mean... That line, Alex, was dynamic from start to finish. From the very first moment of the game, you could tell they were going to be dominant. And sometimes you'll see that and it'll take a step back and then maybe they get another good push and they've got certain shifts where they look a lot better than others. That line was just great from start to finish last night. Every time they were on the ice, you noticed them. And if that's going to be the case, I feel like at this point, it's time to ask a question that is worthwhile. Is Vladimir Tarasenko the most indispensable blue? Because, man, every time we talk about, hey, that's the best line for the Blues, 
it's included Pavel Buchnevich. It's included Robert Thomas. It's included Jordan Cairo. It's included Ivan Barbashev. Whoever you want to throw out there with Vladimir Tarasenko, all season long, that's been the best line for the Blues. And at this point in time, it's hard for me to point to them while you've got a guy who has, what, 32 points now in 32 games, legit point per game player, and say, yeah, that's the guy they could live without. Vladimir Tarasenko has been the Blues' best player from start to finish so far this year. This season, it would be really hard to argue that. The only argument I could have for it is what about at the beginning of the season when he was non-existent and the Blues still won a five, they went on a five-nothing run. But that's why I think this Blues team is so dangerous because even then, though, he he had three goals in the first five games. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. In the first five games, he scored three goals. I thought he didn't get his first goal until like six games in. He scored his first first goal in the third game of the season, scored two against L.A. and had one, two, four, six points in the first five games of the year. All right, well, that argument's thrown out the window because I, for some reason, thought he didn't score for the first few games. Yeah. Look, he's got 10 points in his last four games right now. <laughs> And in, so those, in those four games, he has been a part of two lines that have been the best lines on this Blues team. Now, you can argue Pavel Buchnevich is up there with him. Sure. Ivan Barbashev is up there with him because those guys are just as much important in that line as Vladimir Tarasenko was. But last night, last night to me, Vladimir Tarasenko was the motor of that vehicle. Because Kairou and Thomas have the skill set, but Tarasenko's got the threat every time he enters the zone. And last night also, man, it wasn't just offense. He back-checked a couple of plays that eliminated a scoring chance for Edmonton. He's playing a 200-foot game right now for the Blues. I don't know if it's because he's pissed off if he's still here or if he's just happy that he's here. He's just playing well. Or if he's just playing well. Whatever it may be, in the last 10 games, he has been the most indispensable player for this Blues team. But again... That's why this team's so dangerous, because I could name you six guys that are the most indispensable player on this Blues roster. When was the last time you had this much fun watching Vladimir Tarasenko? Because probably the playoffs of the Stanley Cup run. Uh, I was thinking regular season. I was thinking that year he's with uh, Laterra and was it Shen that was with him? Yeah, no, Schwartz. Schwartz, that's right. The SCL line. I mean, it's been a while. Because there have been a a lot of moments in Vladimir Tarasenko's career where he was more... He was criticized for what he wasn't as opposed to being appreciated for what he was. And the reason why I say that is just because, like, I I think over the last probably three years now, now 2019 was a little different because of the playoff run. But if you go back before then, a lot of it was, yeah, but here's what he doesn't do for the Blues. Yes, I understand he's scoring 30 plus goals, but also look at him defensively. Mm -hmm. I think this year, especially because of what he's gone through the last couple of seasons with all of the injuries and just not looking like himself, I have finally, and I don't know if this is the case for the listeners, I have been able to just sit back and say, you know what, I expect nothing from Vladdy. And being able to watch him become a point-per-game producer once again has been so much fun to watch. And seeing the post-game interviews, this was the second time now that we've seen this, where he, he was the first star in Enterprise, and all of the fans stuck around to watch his post-game interview with Darren Pang. Anybody else and notice he awkwardly changes the subject in a question, too, so he can thank the fans? 100%. Every time. He's been doing that for years, though. But it, it maybe this is just me reading into it more. Is this a tinfoil Ferrari? It feels different this year. It does. It, it feels like he is a little more appreciative. I, I don't even know. Maybe, I'm again, I could be reading something into that that's not actually there. But... It's been really cool to watch Vladimir Tarasenko become himself again in front of this fan base 
and doing so on a legit cup contender. It's been so much fun to watch. And this goes back to, you know, we talked with Mike McKenna last week, put an article out on Daily Faceoff uh, talking about how if Vladdy still wants to get out, maybe he should reconsider because I, I, when you look at the way that this roster is constructed, if you want to put yourself in a good position to be somebody you remember for the rest of your career, this might be the team to be on. With Cairo, with Thomas, with O'Reilly, Buchnevich, Saad, Barbashev, Sunquist, you add Tarasenko into that, if you can keep this roster intact, this could be the best nine forwards in the Western Conference slash NHL for the next three to four years. I, I don't know how you could, with the trajectory of what Thomas and Cairo are producing, these guys look like they're point per game players. I, I know it sounds crazy. Joey has ta- talked about this. Jordan Cairo has Patrick Kane level talent. That would, be, that would be better than Vladdy. So I I'll haven't say I said it. That first. Joey has said it. He has. Pa- they're not the same player, but he has Patrick Kane level talent. As you broke my ankles last night on that move. That was ridiculous. I, I mean, and it's not the first time he's done it this season. My buddy. So one of my buddies was in uh, in today from Kansas City. Uh, he was driving through, and so he he stops by our place. He's he's not a hockey guy. He's never really watched hockey. We were watching the game last night, and I we stopped on the the Kairu play, and we rewatched it like four different times. He's like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah. He's he's on skates, and he's doing things that normal humans can't do on just regular tennis shoes. He, it's, it's absurd what he's doing right he now. He is the first blue that I can remember since Pavel Dimitra, who has the ability to make you stop what you are doing to watch when the puck is on his stick. And it's not just him. Robert Thomas has that ability as well. And for the way that Buchnevich has been playing, for the way that Ryan O'Reilly has played in his career, if you're Vladimir Tarasenko, and look, Rutherford has done phenomenal reporting on this, and apparently Vladdy still wants out. The request stands. But for the way that this team is set up, Vladdy could end the season with 82 points because of the guys that he is playing with. And I don't know if I'd want to be traded. You're correct. Everything you're saying, it's impossible to disagree with. And also, I'm just going to appreciate, like, for for right now, I'm just going to appreciate what we're watching. That's all you can do. I I don't know what Vladdy's future looks like here in St. Louis. My assumption would be at at most we've got a year and a half left with him. I can't imagine he's going to re-sign here in St. Louis, and he's got a year and a half left on his deal. But for the here and now, man, I'm just enjoying the hell out of watching what he's producing for the the Blues right now. And without without him... I don't know what this team is. They're still really good. The ceiling goes to a whole different level, though, when they've got Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko playing at his peak performance. Didn't want to let you hear what John Kelly had to say earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. Here's what he thought about Vladdy's game last night and what we've seen from him so far this year. Speaking of Tarasenko, of course, he was the first star last night. I don't know when the last time is that he is playing this, you know, played this well. He, he is really working hard, not, not just offensively, but all three zones. So, it's almost as if getting, you know, put together with Barbashev and Buchnevich, that Russian line almost rejuvenated him. And and he has become uh, the Tarasenko that we've known now for, you know, 10 years or so. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. It's 1015. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Love this text from the 636, Alex. How many times have we said in the past, he's going to be really good whenever he moves his feet? Right now, Vladimir Tarasenko is moving his feet and then some, and he's producing as a result. There is so much truth to that. Yep, He is playing, you said, the 200-foot game that Craig Berube always talks about. 
well, Vladdy is the guy that is actually symbolizing that right now. He's the poster child of it. Well, I never in a million years would have thought that I would be saying what that. What Vladdy's doing now is what Craig Berube got him to do in 2019 during that cup run. And it reminds me a lot of what Alex Ovechkin needed in Washington. He was the prototypical player that was the goal scorer that never played defense. And Barry Trotz came in, got him to play defense, and they won the cup. And Craig Berube comes in, gets Vladimir Tarasenko to play defense along with being the goal scorer. They win the cup. That's what you're seeing right now with Vladdy Tarasenko. you got to keep it going, though. I want to keep the conversation going on that line. We talked a lot about Vladimir Tarasenko in the open. I want to talk about the other two players on that line coming up next. Is that your future as a Blues fan? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Forced ahead by Cairo to a breakaway. Thomas to Tarasenko to Thomas. They score! Two on the goaltender and they tic-tac-toed it to the back of the net. Robert Thomas has put the Blues on top. one nothing. We spent a lot of time in the open talking about their their line mates, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. We talked about Vladimir Tarasenko. If you missed that conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Now I want to shift the conversation for a moment. Shift it. Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, Alex, have raised their game to the next level. Right now, you're talking about legit point-per-game producers for both of them. Jordan Cairo has been outstanding from start to finish. When he's been healthy, Robert Thomas has been outstanding for this team. He even got a goal last night. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, you guys Twin- are jerks for saying he won't get 10 this year. Well, he's that close, so I mean, I could have put that one in. Oh, stop it. Okay. I 23 points in 25 games now so far for Robert Thomas. And when you look at Jordan Cairo, he's up to 28 points in 28 games. Alex, I wanted to ask you because I yes, last year you, you called them the Hole and Oats duo. Well, I called Thomas and Hoffman the Hole and Oats duo. I'm going to give you more credit. I'll say that you you mentioned Kairou there, and yeah. we'll move forward. Said so that was the future. I they're not Hole and Oats. No, nobody is other than considering McDavid and Drysaddle are the first to do it. Yeah, yeah, they're not. But is that the future for this Blues team? Because when I watched them last night, I I kept thinking to myself, man, if that's your number one center and winger, three four years from now. That's got the potential to be a really good team because they're already excellent and they're not even in their primes yet. Like, think about that for a second. We are watching them at the very front end of what is their careers. And if they continue on this trajectory, they don't even have to get a whole lot better. Robert Thomas has the look of a number one centerman right now. He's playing in every situation. He's an outstanding distributor and he's becoming more aggressive with the puck. Jordan Cairo is as lethal as just about any goal scorer in the league right now. And when you have that combination and what they do and with Robert Thomas now becoming a legitimately good defender as well, I mean, that's a great pairing. Talk a lot about O'Reilly and Perron and what they have as a pairing for you as your that top line. Are we watching what's going to be the top line maybe even two years from now, right I, now, Alex? I want you to think about what you're saying. A 22-year-old and a 23-year-old were already talking about being the top-line players for this Blues team. And you know, it's not crazy what you're saying. They have done that. They have just proven, I think, this season that they are the future of this Blues team. Thomas last night, 20 minutes and 42 seconds of ice time. 
He won 60% of his face-off, which is 5% less than Ryan O'Reilly. By the way, he only played about a minute less than Ryan O'Reilly. He played two minutes and 24 seconds on the power play, but that's because he's on that second unit. And he played a minute six on the penalty kill, the same amount of time as Ryan O'Reilly. He's been more productive this season, and, and this is not a shot against Ryan O'Reilly. And also there are explanations as to why this is the case with O'Reilly going through the COVID stuff. He has been more productive with his point or with his points per minute this season than Ryan O'Reilly has. I, I mean, this might be far-fetched to say, but Ryan, or Thomas is trending in the direction of what Ryan O'Reilly has been in his career, but possibly with more points. Ryan O'Reilly's been a goal scorer, but I think Thomas is a guy who can score 50 or pick up 50 assists in a season. But then there's Jordan Cairo. Cairo last night, 20 minutes in a second of ice time with three points and three shots on goal and one blocked shot. Defensively, I just don't know what Cairo is for this team. Up and down. It's up and down. Maybe it's like what Vladimir Tarasenko has been in his career. Maybe a little bit more consistency. But Jordan Cairo has the same offensive threat that Vladimir Tarasenko does. Was last night the first time Cairo's played 20 minutes in a game? Mm, might, uh, I'll have to look this be. up, but I, he hasn't done it any at any point this season. It might I, be. I was wondering if he had done that in the past. So, I can look that up. So if you if you look five years down the road, your first line absolutely is Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I mean, those guys are kind of the face of what this team is going to look like moving forward. And here's the thing. It is so difficult to draft guys late in the first round, late in the second round, and then turn into impact players for a team to where they're your future. Like you got to draft guys in the top 10, top 15 to be guys that you're like, okay, these are our cornerstone pieces. But you drafted Thomas in 20th overall, and you drafted Jordan Cairo in the second round. And these guys are cornerstone pieces for your Blues team. I'm glad you brought that up because this is what the Blues have now with what we're talking about with the Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo is where the Blackhawks failed once the dynasty end. Is the Blackhawks were they had the key pieces like the Blues had the O'Reilly Prawn, they had the Kane and the Taves, and they had the Duncan Keith. But when those guys got started to get paid, they had to pay them because they didn't have the guys that were able to step up around them. The Blues don't have that issue. And, and that's how it comes down to the point where we're talking about uh, yesterday, do the Blues extend David Prawn? You know, it would be nice if they could, but you know, if they don't, they have the guys that can replace him internally. They have, as you're talking about, they're drafting well with guys in the late uh, first round. Colton Preco, your number one defensive guy that you just signed the big contract to, third round pick. Uh, not many guys can, not many teams can say that. I mean, just drafting Jake Neighbors. I mean, you've got a guy who's a top six winner Jordan, for him. Jordan Bennington. Brunovich. Jordan Bennington was a late pick Jordan as Bennington. well. So you, the Blues have done so far. Barbie. Charlie Lindgren. Barbie's another good one. Okay. Well, he wasn't drafted <laughs> by the Blues. Oh, but. sorry. Well, he's, he's signed. They were, we were on a roll. Oh, yeah. 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 Throw one more in. But the <laughs> Billy Huso. But the Blues, the, the Blues have been able to get draft these you guys. Mean Wally Pip. What? They've, they've really done a good job they've of finding They've done a really good job of out. finding these guys, and, and they're doing what the Blackhawks never were able to do, which is what's going to help keep this Stanley Cup window open even longer for the Blues. And and that's what's impressive, because if we're talking about, as you mentioned, 22-, 23-year-old guys being your first line, first line in the next three to five years, Blackhawks can never do but that. But you know how you keep that window open after that five-year window? By acquiring talent like Pavel Buchnevich, signing Brandon Saad, being active in free agency on the trade market to complement those pieces. Like what Doug Armstrong did with Ryan O'Reilly was he complimented the pieces of Vladimir Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz and Alex Petrangelo because he knew those cornerstone pieces were there. That's what he has just done with Thomas and Cairo and O'Reilly and Shen complimenting those pieces with Buchnevich and Saad and Krug and Falk. It's supplementing the roster. There are... 
a number of different ways to be able to add to the roster. And one of my critiques of the Cardinals for a long time has been, okay, you're only using a few of the routes to be able to add talent to your roster right now. One of the routes that they don't use very often is free agency. The Blues are willing to use free agency. They're willing to trade. They use the drafts to supplement what their roster is. Any way that they can find and add talent to this roster, they're going to use that method to continue to do so. And they've done a great job with it over the years. And really, this offseason, I think, might have been Doug Armstrong's best maybe of his career. And you can say certainly since the Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bozak, David, that that offseason. Um, what was that? 2017, Alex, when they added O'Reilly? Yeah, because it was the off season going into the 2018 season. So th- it's certainly July the of best in at least the last four years for Army. But when you when you talk about adding Buchnevich and Saad to this team and also deciding to keep Vladimir Tarasenko, knowing that's not going to be as big of a distraction as we all thought it would be on the outside looking in. And that is one hell of an offseason for Doug Armstrong. And you pair that with deciding not to rid yourself of young talent like Kairou or Thomas, like some were asking for here in locally. I, I mean, what an offseason for Doug Armstrong. And to your guys' point about the way to be able to continue this run, it's also about deciding to let some of the players that won the cup for you, letting them walk. Because that's something the Blackhawks were very hesitant to do. They tried to keep that band together as long as possible, hoping to squeeze every ounce of juice out of that group. And it aged like an 80s rock band. Not great. It didn't go well for them. And with the Blues, credit where it's due to Doug Armstrong, we've all criticized him for deciding to let Alex Petrangelo walk. He got younger talent in here, and it, it seems to be working. I've got my hesitancy on some of the defensive core right now, but... It's working for them, and last night it certainly looked good against one of the best offenses in the NHL. So when you add in Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou to kind of bring us back to where this conversation started with the supplemental talent that they've added to the mix, this this is how you do it. This is how you extend that window that they've talked so much about in that five-year stretch. And, man, Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou, that's where it all starts right now. Uh, that's where, like, for this season, of course, they're important. For 2023, 24, 25... Those guys are the key to the Blues continuing to be a contender because that's that's your top end talent right there. Those are the guys that have the chance the chance to become like legitimately special Blues over the next few years. What, what's the quote? I think there's a famous quote, and I can't remember who says it. But there's a quote of if you win a championship, you can't return the same team. You have to. I think it's you can only return like seventy five percent of the team or something like that. I feel like that's maybe I made up that quote, but no, but that's no, what that's it makes sense. I think it's a baseball person that said it before, and because like remember after oh six, uh, Jockety kept the Cardinals together and they missed the playoffs in oh seven, and that's that's kind of where it comes down to is you can't get it attached to that emotional side. Like yesterday, I was out here saying you know David Prawn he should finish his career with the Blues, but you know what if it's not going to make financial sense for the Blues, there's no need to kind of. And I know he's not going to make six to seven million dollars AAV, but there's no need to kind of tie your hands behind your back for to say because you can get a deal because you have guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas you don't necessarily have to get a deal done with a David Perron. This is where Doug Armstrong I think is going to come into play rather than what Stan Bowman was able to do with the Chicago Blackhawks, but it's what it's what they did with Pittsburgh to where they kept winning. And Pittsburgh's different because they had guys who they drafted first overall in Crosby and Malkin and Flurry. But you have to be able 
to get guys to buy into the team mentality to where they're not asking for the world. Because if Jordan Cairo three years from now says, I want to be paid $10 million, guess what? He's going to be walking. That's why you get him signed early, too. That's why you get him signed early. This offseason, Doug Armstrong should be talking with both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. But think about what he has been able to accomplish. You signed Colton Pareko, Torrey Krug, Justin Falk, all to $6.5 million contracts. Any of those three go on the market right now, they're getting paid $8 million per year. I guarantee you that. I don't think Krug's getting $8 million, but neither here nor there. For seeing what some of the guys have gotten. But then you look at the forward position. Pablo Buchnevich, they acquire, and they sign him to, what, $5.5 million for four years? You get Cairo, you get Thomas, you get Barbashev, you get Sundquist after the RFAs, and you get them locked up to team-friendly deals. If there's ever a team that you believe in can keep a window open because of the roster uh, roster construction, it's this Blues team because of Doug Armstrong's ability to make the right decisions and let guys walk, but give guys the right amount of money that he feels deserves it. Alex, you talk all the time about the roster construction that the Blues have and how they're not built around one superstar. They're built around the, the, the whole team game, right? Is it, is it annoying? I'm sorry, man. No, it's 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 a good point. Look at some of these numbers right now to further that point that you make. Vladimir Tarasenko, point per game right now, 32 points in 32 games. Pavel Buchnevich, 29 points in 29 games. Jordan Cairo, 28 points in 28 games. Robert Thomas, 23 points in 25 games. And David Perron, 19 points in 21 games. They legitimately have five guys right now that are at or approaching a point per game producer. Yeah. And last year, David Perron was the first guy to do that for the Blues and like, Eight seasons or something mm-hmm. crazy? Yeah. I mean, this and, is... And think about it. Ryan O'Reilly isn't even at his level that we expect him to be at. He's a point-per-game player. It, and then go to, the defen- go to the defensive side here for a minute, guys. Like, Justin Falk and Tory Krug are both putting up... Krug's got 20 points in 27 games. Like, Justin Falk, I don't think his point production is up there with Tory Krug's, but, I mean, you're getting point production from everywhere right now. It's, it's really remarkable. And by the way, Brandon Saad, who never assists, uh, <laughs> has 12 goals in 28 games. Hey, I love his stat line so much because if you were just looking at a sheet of paper, you'd be like, what the hell is this? Selfish. 12 goals in 28 games. That's unbelievable. Three assists, a minus six on the ice. What's going on? Do you there? see where he's scoring these goals? Though he doesn't They're need assists. He doesn't need assists when he parks himself right in front of the net. He is exactly the player that they've been missing. Just need a goal. The, like if I could construct a player in a lab that the Blues were missing the last few years, it is literally what Brandon Sod has been so far this season. And by the way, earlier today, uh, I was listening to John Calliano with Carriker and Smallman. I, I was telling this to Tanner in the office earlier. Kelly said there are some times when he's like, oh, uh, when did Alex Steen rejoin the roster? Oh, he's, yeah. he's got the number 20. He literally looks like Alex Steen on the ice. Curbs called him Steen in the middle of a hockey really? game. He called him Alexander Steen moves the puck and then Ray's like, oh, wait, that's not Steen. But it, he does look like him on the ice. And he plays like him sometimes uh-huh. it, it, in his prime. Alex Steen in his prime. It's, it's been so much fun to watch. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. If the Cardinals decided to sign another starter this offseason, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they did, who would you push out of the rotation to give that guy a spot? We'll talk about that Jack coming Flaherty. up at 1045. But next, 6578 Comfort Service Tax Line for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Gives you the feels on a Thursday, doesn't it? You know, I've been close to singing this song a couple of times. But I just can't get over that hump. Come on, the blues are good again. Believe it or not, I'm walking. 
just not there, BK. It's time for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. If you want to throw a scenario our way. You can't do that. Start out with this one from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues should trade Vladimir Tarasenko right now to Calgary to get Kachuk in the fold while Vladimir Tarasenko is still at the top of his game. Believe it or not, Alex. If Calgary were to accept it, I'd do it. I'd believe it. I'm not doing that right now. I don't think Calgary would accept it. That's the only problem. Stupid Calgary. I'm not doing it right now. I would not trade Vladimir Tarasenko straight up right now for Matthew Kachuk. I would do that in the offseason. Well, you're not going right. to get it in the offseason, though. Why not? Because he's going to play a full season, and they're going to be like, okay, well, we only got one more year of Vladdy Tarasenko. You got the mileage from this past year Maybe on him. Maybe it requires me to put more into the... Like, I am trying to win a cup this year, and this is no shot against Matthew Kachuk. He's an outstanding young hockey player, and he definitely makes you better long-term. Right now... I just said, what, 10 minutes ago that Vladimir Tarasenko has been the best Blues player so far this season. I'm not trading that guy in a season in which I'm trying to win a Stanley Cup. I am stunned that you would have done it because you're always telling me about this chemical mixture called team chemistry. (laughs) Chemical mixture. And pulling Vladdy and bringing in a new guy in Kachuk. I I, I mean, Kachuk's an awesome player, but the way this team's playing and the chemistry that's been built. I get it. I wouldn't do it. I get it, but. I'm, I'm, that's why I would pull the deal right now because I have some time to get more chemistry in this one. And for me, I don't. If they're going to offer it straight up, Matthew for Vladdy, money's the same. That's about it. I, I don't know a better time that you're going to be able to get this deal done than right now. And look, I I get it. You 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 don't want to move a guy who's a point per game player. But if the request still stands and he still wants out. You're going to have to get to this point at some point. And I understand you want to win a Stanley Cup, but what happens if you get bounced in the second round and you kept them and then you can't make a move in the offseason? So I would be willing to take my chances and bring in a guy who is, in my opinion, just as good of a player as Vladdy, but on a different spectrum because he's the power forward. He's basically a better Brandon Saad. I was 24. Like, that's exactly. another important part. I would, I would believe it if it was there. But again, I don't think Calgary would pull the trigger on that. They, they wouldn't, realistically speaking. And you are being more prudent. Like what you are saying about the, the correct... You just cuss at me? The correct move for oh, the Blues long term. It is to make this move. But I would rather wait until the offseason and find out what's out there for Vladdy. Because if he sustains this, big if, but if he sustains this... You're going to get what, even if it's not Matthew Kachuk, you're going to get something of significance in return for Vladimir Tarasenko. So whether it's Matthew Maybe. Kachuk or something else, I'm going to get a lot for Vladimir Tarasenko. If, and when that trade is, is made in the off season, I'm going to keep him here and try to win this Stanley cup right now. And, and if this team was sitting kind of where Edmonton is, where they've, what I think Edmonton entering last night was in the wild card. Yeah, they're fourth place then, in the Pacific. Then I would consider it, but I mean they're playing so well. I mean last night they leapfrogged Minnesota for first in the Central. So I, I just get it. But do if it. this deal's in front of me, I don't believe that there will be a better deal for Vladdy at any point until he's a free agent than that. I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too. Well, that, guess that's what? That's where I'm at. Sometimes somebody Wait, there's poops cake? in the cake. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax slide for believe it or not, guys. Believe it or not. Cincinnati will cover tomorrow against Alabama. Believe it or not, Cincy will be able to cover tomorrow against Alabama. What's the spread? The spread right now in that game, it's it's a big one. 
uh, and Alabama is trying to say that they are the underdog in this one. Uh, wow. It is a 13 and a half point spread. It's just because Nick Saban's in the locker room telling all of his players that he, they suck and Cincinnati's going to whoop up on him just to piss him off. Yeah, I'm going to believe this one. Or I'm sorry, I'm not going to believe this one. Playoff time for Alabama is just a different animal. Like, I understand that in the regular season didn't look great for them. And a lot of people, BK, uh, as a matter of fact, questioned if the Saban era was over. No, I said they're not what they once were. And now they're number one in the country. I'll pull that audio (laughs) at some point. But I think they're going to win the bleeping national title in a down year. This is a rebuilding year, a reloading year for them. And they're going to win the damn national title. What a rebuild that must be. I I hate that program so much. I I think that uh, I think that Alabama is going to uh, win this one pretty easily. So uh, I'm not going to believe this. They really beat Georgia 41 to 24. I'm just saying, someone on this show said, oh, the Saban era is over. That's not what I said. I do remember that. No, but I think he said Saban was going to get fired soon. Yeah. Okay. Placing him with drink. I, I'm taking Alabama. Drink, 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 drink. Please don't do this to me. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I am not. I don't I don't know how Cincinnati is going to be able to keep up. Like two, two, two scores feels about right. I think that line is correct. I would predict like 41 Is it over by halftime? I don't think so. No, I think it'll be close enough. I think it'll be within like 10. Saban makes Cincinnati feel good about 21, 10, something like that at halftime. Tells them they're pretty on the date. But I I do think Alabama ends up winning this one by at least two scores. I I think I'm going to believe this. I think they'll cover. To me, this feels like kind of a trap game for Alabama. And I know that that's weird to say. But if you're Alabama, I mean, you just had your Super Bowl in the SEC championship game against Georgia because everybody like BK was saying that this was the rebuild Mm -hmm. and Georgia was the clear favorite to beat. If I'm Alabama and I'm looking at Cincinnati, I'm going, ah, they're not a power five team. I will, we'll play Michigan or Georgia. I, I think they come out maybe a little bit sluggish. I think they still win, but I expect them to kind of have that slow start overlooking Cincinnati, maybe just a little bit. And then Cincinnati ultimately is able to cover. I, I think this is probably going to be high scoring. I think Cincinnati is going to put up points. All right. T-Bone believes saving air is over too. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will not win the World Series so long as Harrison Bader is the everyday center fielder Wow, St. Louis. This feels like a personal attack at you, BK. Yeah, can I go ahead and start this one out? Please not. This is absurd. Why is it absurd? You're telling me that the Cardinals can't win the World Series because Harrison Bader is their starting center fielder? Well, he can't hit. Did you watch the Tampa Bay Rays two years ago? No. Kevin Kiermeyer was their starting center fielder, and did, he's a worse version. Yeah, I said it. Did he's they, a worse version of Harrison Bader. Did they win the World Series that year? No, but it's oh, because Kevin Cash, and they, they did this thing, Alex, where Blake Snell was awesome, and then they took him out, and everybody questioned it's it. It's probably because they didn't trust the center fielder. <laughs> I don't think that's what it was, but... No, the, Harrison Bader, if the Cardinals don't win the World Series, it will not be because Harrison Bader was their starting center fielder. He's a winner. He's a winning baseball player. I agree with that, actually. I, you believe I, that Bader's a winner? Yeah, I mean, he's got the... He's a guy that goes out there every day and he's diving all over the ball field. How? Why would I not believe he's not yeah, a winner? Forget your stupid metrics, Alex. Yeah. Forget your Watch zip. The Have games. you seen his peak Watch war? The games. Have you seen his peak <laughs> war? Guys, new segment idea moving forward. Winner or wiener? Whoa. Well, I will tell you my answer for Harrison Bader every time is winner. Yeah, I'm going to go believe this one is, or not believe this one as well. I, I I think if they're going to win a World Series, it's because you have a gold glover in center field as well as a gold glover in left field and a runner-up to gold glover in right field. Like, defense wins you championships. You say it all the time, although some people would say, well, offense wins you championships too if you were the Cardinals. 
Harrison Bader would be a part of a championship team, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either because I don't think he's going to be the sole reason they don't win a World Series. Because I said this heading into last year, you can have Harrison Bader, even if he doesn't hit in your lineup because he's so good defensively. He's the perfect 8-9 hitter for a lineup. And to me, if the Cardinals aren't winning a World Series, and this isn't a shot against these guys, but it's because they rely on an impact bat to come internally, and you don't see it from Paul DeYoung, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, the four guys that I think they think could be that, or or one of those big three take a step back and Goldie, Arnato, O'Neill. I, I don't think Harrison Bader factors in at all to why they would not win a World Series, so I'm not going to believe it. I just... I don't know how you can look back at some of the teams that have won the World Series in recent years and say to yourself, yeah, the Cardinals need a better um, a better hitter in center field. Like, For example, you look back in the 2018 season, the Boston Red Sox. You know who their starting center fielder was that year? Jackie Bradley. Johnny yeah. Damon. Jackie Bradley Jr., who finished the year hitting 235. Harrison Bader's a, a better overall player than that. You go back to the Chicago Cubs back in 2016. You guys know who their starting center fielder was that season? Jason Hayward. It was Dexter Fowler, who was Whoa, not good he defensively. Was good. He was not good defensively that he season. He was great for them. in St. Louis. Uh, and by the way, in right field, so if you want to just make the comp of having a liability offensively out there, it was Jason Hayward who finished the season hitting 230. It's fine to have one guy in your outfield who's out there for defense. And if I'm going to have that player out there, I want him to be in center because it is the most valuable defensive position. So if the Cardinals have an issue offensively with Harrison Bader out there, that's fine. So long as he continues playing defensively the way that he has thus far in his career, uh, I I just don't understand why he's the guy that we have determined as the issue. Has he taken the Matt Carpenter mantle? Is he the one? No, because he never did what Matt Carpenter did. I don't know what mantle he has. Like, Paul DeYoung's the Matt Carpenter. Maybe that's it. I don't know what mantle Bader's at because I feel like everyone puts a lot on Bader. And, I mean, he was never looked at as the dude who was going to be Tyler O'Neill. The Cardinals fans continue to say, but he was the one that... He was a top prospect for his glove. And he was the guy that they had out there uh, sporting the new powder blue. What does that the, the matter? Sunday blues. He's got nice hair. You put him in a blue jersey, he's going to look awesome. I, know, I had but that th- flow. They put me in blue. You're like 5'2", man. Yeah, you're, you, don't even, look you don't even look <laughs> like I'd sell it for the kids. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, <laughs> I'm Brandon Kyle. daughter, the nine-month-old. In 15 minutes, is Aaron Rodgers ever going to be happy? Like, is he ever going to be happy about anything? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, if the Cardinals did sign another starter this offseason, who's that going to push out of the rotation? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. So yesterday we were able to uh, catch it, catch up rather with my guy, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. He's the one that puts out all of the projections that we've been talking so much about. Alex's and favorite. we asked the him plus baby. If he could add one player to this current Cardinals team, if I said, okay, you're in John Mosellock's shoes, I'm giving you $10 million. Who are you going to add to this roster? Here's what he had to say yesterday, basically right in line with most of the national analysts we've heard talking about the Cardinals. I think it would be fun. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of great inning eaters left in, in uh, free agency. 
I, I know you can't get Carlos Rodon for $10 million, but once you put me in the chair, maybe I'll, I would trick you in letting me spend more. Uh, failing that, I think I would go after, uh, you know, a reliever with upside, uh, like Colin McHugh. He, that's the kind of player that I'd be interested in. Maybe Danny Duffy, just because he does have upside, and I like to have just upside around in the rotation where possible. Silly Zimbrowski tricks are for kids. So he essentially believes the Cardinals are missing some more upside in their rotation, some more certainty in their rotation. Alex, I think that's the national viewpoint on this rotation right now. I don't have that same viewpoint. <laughs> don't get it. I believe in Dakota Hudson, I think, more than national analysts seem to believe in him. If you were adding somebody to this rotation, though, who are you kicking out? Because as much as Tanner, I'm, a, I'm with what you've been saying, that they may very well may utilize a six-man rotation more next year than they have in years past. I don't think it's going to be all year long. I don't think they're going to go into the season with a six-man rotation. So you are removing somebody from your rotation if you add somebody else. Who's that guy going into the season? I, I hate to say this because I am his biggest fan, but Dakota Hudson's the guy. Because the amount of time that he has missed over the last few years, I think he would be the ultimate weapon for you out of the bullpen this year. I mean, you could use him. Hell, I would be interested to see him in a closer position. I don't think you would do that, but I think he could do it for you. You are getting frisky over there. No, I'm just saying. Like You you kind of do with Dakota Hudson what you did with Alex Reyes. Like You look at him as a long man, but you could use him in a setup role. You could probably use him in a closer role if you were forced to. He would be the guy that you'd get forced out in this scenario. And... As much as I like him, I wouldn't mind it because you give him a year to just get as many innings as possible in the bullpen and strengthen it, and then the next year you kind of let him loose as the the guy in your rotation. He's your right-handed TJ McFarland. Would be yeah. if he was pushed yeah. to the bullpen, that would be the role in which you would use Kinda him. If like you need a double play, yeah, you need a double play. You bring him out, get the double play. He He's comes back out for the next inning, and now you get what one and a third, one and two thirds innings out of uh, Dakota Hudson. Yeah, he's, he's better than Matt Bowman, by the true. way. He's he more talented for sure. Seth Manus, another guy, a sinker baller that you could kind of comp that if you were going to put nice. him in the bullpen. But Hudson is an ace. I I agree with you. I I was going to extend him. We talked about who would be a Cardinal you would extend. Both you and me, Alex, said that we would consider uh, Dakota Hudson. Yep. To me, it would be him though. If you're going to sign somebody to push somebody out, it would be Hudson. And honestly, I I mean I I'm with you guys. I don't think they need another starter. But if the Cardinals did it, let's say they brought in a, uh, I'll just use Zach Greinke as an example here because he's the first name to pop to my mind. If you told me they were going to sign Zach Greinke to what would you say one year for ten mil? No, five mil, something like that. Well, if they make that move and he slots into that Hudson spot, and I'm going to be able to limit innings on Hudson coming off of Tommy John, and he'll still make spot starts as that sixth man rather than Jake Woodford, which then puts questions on what Jake Woodford's role would be. I wouldn't mind doing that because I know the Cardinals are going to be cautious with Dakota Hudson. They have every right to be because he is a guy that I legitimately view as a number two starter for the Cardinals in 2023, but he's probably going to need a year to build up from Tommy John surgery because sure he came back and pitched last year, but he only threw like what four innings. Yeah, I've got you. I've got these numbers for you. So in 2020, he pitched a total of 39 innings last year. He pitched between the minors and the big leagues, 27 innings. So he's thrown 65 innings, basically the last two seasons combined. Yeah. So he'll wear down. He'll just fatigue. It's going to happen for him next year. Fatigue is going to be a problem probably for Dakota Hudson. So if you can limit his innings somewhat, 
then go ahead and do it and get that other starter. Go ahead and get a Zach Green. Get a veteran that's going to be an innings eater for you, and then you can kind of continue to have him be that sixth swing man. I I liked what I saw from Jake Woodford, but if you told me Dakota Hudson or Jake Woodford could be my sixth starter slash swing man for me, I think I would take Dakota Hudson. And we saw that he can be effective coming out of the bullpen last year, so it's not like it's a foreign thing for him. So I think we're all in agreement on the Hudson side, but can you make an argument for Michaelis? I just can't because he makes so much money. And, and I feel it's like it's tough, but it's a sunk cost. Like that, that's the that's the hard thing for me is last year it, it was hard for me to imagine Matt Carpenter as a utility player who's just coming off of the bench, but because of the money that he's making. But it was the correct role to utilize him because that's a sunk cost. You, you can't go back and change the contract. I, I understand where you're coming from with this, Alex. I think my my issue is I think there is a good role for Dakota Hudson. I actually think he improves your bullpen. I think Miles Michaelis is only value to you as a team, and I'm not saying this to demean the guy, but his value is that he can eat innings. It's the same thing as like a Steven Matz, right? Steven Matz's value to you as a team is that he can go out there for five, six, seven innings consistently. I think that's the same thing for Miles Michaelis. I'm not sure his stuff plays up coming out of the bullpen. I do think Dakota Hudson's stuff plays up coming out of the bullpen, though. So that that would be why I, I think you get more out of Hudson out of your bullpen I don't know that that's the case with a guy like Miles Michaelis. Yeah, and the only reason I bring his name up is, one, because of the injuries that he has gone through, and two, I think he might be more of a guy who can eat a lot of innings out of the bullpen for you if you absolutely need to. Because let's be honest, at some point this season, you're going to have a few stretches, a few weeks where guys just don't have their right stuff, and they're pulled in the third inning because they're just not right. That's where I feel like Miles Michaelis, rather than having to abuse the entire bullpen because you only want to use Hudson for an inning and a half because you don't want to keep his numbers up too high, Miles Michaelis, you know, you can just let it loose. That's the only argument I can make for it, but I think the only answer here is Dakota Hudson. One thing that I do hope that the Cardinals are going to learn from the way that they've handled Alex Reyes because he dealt with injuries. He hasn't had Tommy John, I don't think, but... Remember, the, the whole question last year was how the, Mosa, we're going to get him 100 innings so he could be built up to be a starter for this year. It c- clearly became it quickly became clear they weren't going to be able to manage that with him in the bullpen. I hope they don't make that mistake with Dakota Hudson because he's in the exact same spot as Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes has, what, two years left of arbitration? Mm-hmm. So does Dakota Hudson. And I don't want them to fall into the same trap that they've fallen in with Alex Reyes because all three of us, and I don't even know if the Cardinals have a true idea of what they're going to do with Alex Reyes. Right now, they have him penciled in as a middle relief, maybe as a sixth starter, depending on how spring training looks. I don't want them to fall into the same trap with Alex Reyes with Dakota Hudson, because I think Dakota Hudson has great stuff. I think Alex Reyes has great stuff. I just think the Cardinals mishandled the way they handled his injury history. I don't want to see the Cardinals do it with Dakota Hudson coming off of Tommy John. 65780 is your comfort service X line from the 314. Guys, you're just babying Dakota Hudson. He's fine. He's ready to go. He's a starter. I agree long term. I don't know what I don't know how many innings he's going to be able to give you next year. And if it means starting the season with him in your bullpen because you signed uh, maybe it is Zach Greinke, maybe it's Colin McHugh. I don't know who the specific guy is, but that fifth slash sixth starter that you think can stabilize your rotation early on, if that's the way that you decide to utilize, deploy Dakota Hudson early, and then he slots into your rotation when, not if, but when there is an injury to somebody, I'm fine with it. So long as the plan, as Tanner mentioned, 
is to use him as a starter. It needs to be this is a starter that is coming out of our bullpen for a brief period of time, not this is a pitcher that we're not sure what he's going to be, and right now he's a reliever for us. That's how they utilized Alex Reyes last year. I don't want that to be the plan with Dakota Hudson. I do agree with you on that, Tanner. With Alex Ferrario and Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, yesterday we talked with Mike Rupp, the Stanley Cup champion, former NHL forward. And he told us he believes that the Blues and the Wild are both constructed better for a playoff run than the Avalanche. Do we agree with that assessment? We'll talk with that about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, I'm not sure Aaron Rodgers is ever going to be happy. And we're going to play a game of start, trade, or cut. That's next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. This year has taught me anything. I said, you know, I still can play. I still have a love for the game. I'm still super competitive and still enjoy the process of the week. You know, there'll be a lot of a lot of uh, things that I'll, that'll weigh in the offseason. Um, saying that doesn't mean, or, or any of the comments I've made, doesn't mean I'm thinking about elsewhere. I do want to clarify that. So I'm just savoring this year, I think, as much as anything. And I don't want to, it won't be something where I'll drag it out for months and months. That was a an answer from Aaron Rodgers yesterday when asked about retirement. Alex, the answer is simple here. No. No, I'm not retiring this offseason. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Aaron Rodgers is 38 years old. He's very likely going to win the MVP this year. Over the last two seasons, he has now thrown... 81 touchdowns and nine interceptions. He is at the top of his game. This is as well as we've seen Aaron Rodgers play at any point in his career, including when the Packers won the Super Bowl. The answer to that question is very simple. No, I'm not retiring this offseason. Look at the way that I've played. I still think I have a lot more to give this game, and I can't wait to do so, hopefully, here as Packer. Boom, you're good to go. We move forward. There is no story here. But, Alex, Aaron Rodgers just can't do that. You know why? Because Aaron Rodgers is a miserable human being. Whoa. He is absolutely miserable, and he's always miserable. There's nothing you can do to change that, apparently, he's if married, you're the Packers. He's married or dating a movie star. Yeah, good for him. I, like, I, I hope all is well in Aaron Rodgers' life, but it seems like he is a totally miserable person to be around. And I good say Lord. that because as I, as I watch the Packers this year, and I think <laughs> about what this offseason was like, Alex, all offseason— he was saying, hey, you know, we just we don't have the right weapons around me. They, they just haven't been able to surround me with the talent I deserve. Well, Aaron, as I watched this team, I couldn't disagree more. You've got one of, if not the best, receivers in the NFL. You have a legit two-headed monster at running back right now with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, who is unbelievable. That dude is like 80% of Derrick Henry, but with a, uh, the ability to catch the football. It's amazing. You look at the offensive line. When they're healthy, it's the best offensive line in football. And right now, they're not healthy, and they also have really good depth. The defensive side of the ball, they've added a ton of talent to. Man, Brian Gutekunst is really good at his job, and the Green Bay Packers have surrounded him with a ton of talent. If you don't want to be there, by all means, tell them you don't want to be there, and they'll probably get somebody else to be pretty darn good. Maybe they can go trade for somebody else who's good, because their backup is not. But I am so sick of this Aaron Rodgers storyline, because... What more could they possibly provide for you, Aaron? They allowed you to skirt the COVID COVID rules all year long. They provided you with all the talent you could possibly ask for, and you're still a miserable prick when you're they're asked about 
what is it? What are you going to do this off season? I don't understand it. I don't get it. They even got him his best friend in Randall Cobb. Yeah, they went out and did something that was and ridiculous. Can you, can you imagine the GM's reaction? Hey, I need I need Randall Cobb. Who? You know, you know what I didn't expect this morning? BK to just go on a hate speech of Aaron Rodgers. I love watching Aaron Rodgers play football. I love it. He is so much fun, man. And God, is he talented. But good Lord, what are we doing here? What more do you need from the Packers before you say, you know what, this is the best place for me to be. I was ungrateful for a while because there was a disagreement on the Packers deciding to, to, let's be honest, this is all about drafting Jordan Love. There was a disagreement about the way that that process went about. We have discussed it internally. I don't need to speak on it any longer. I'm happy where I'm at. They've put the best team around me. Let's go win a championship. Go Pack. That's all you got to do. And this is done. But instead, he's out here bleeping and moaning all year long and belly aching about the talent that's not around him when they're a Super Bowl favorite right now. I don't understand. I, I, I mean, I have a couple thoughts on this. One, I think this is just Aaron Rodgers' way of getting out of Green Bay. Like, make it as miserable as possible for them despite you playing awesome and they're going to get rid of you. This is one way for him to get rid of it. Two, maybe this is a little bit of a tinfoil Ferrario theory here, but... He's lived his entire career in football in the shadow of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. Like those guys have always been talked about. And then Aaron Rodgers, name. Maybe this is his way to finally put his name above Tom Brady. Not only playing like an MVP, but in news, in talks, and everyone's discussing him 24-7. Maybe he gets his jollies off of the fact that everyone around pro football and sports and news is talking about Aaron Rodgers. Look, I'm all for I'm all for supporting players, and if you're not happy in the situation you are and you want out, then I'm all for requesting sure. the trade. But if I'm a general manager, I also have a job to do. And Rodgers, I don't care what you're... I don't care what you're going and saying publicly on the Pat McAfee show. By the way, Pat, can we really get yeah. him off the air? Uh, Pat, but, can, we, can we cool it? But if I'm the general manager of the Packers, I'm just going to him saying, dude, we're not moving on from you. It's either you're going to retire and so be it and we'll be done with it, yeah. or, or yeah. you're just going to come and play next year. Let's just quit the talk with yeah. everybody else. Someone just needs to, Someone I, needs to stop treating him like a little baby and trying to make him happy. They just need to come to him and do exactly what T-Bone just said. Aaron, we're done with this. Either you play here or you you you, you get the trade. It's one or the other. Enough of this. Uh, and there's no trade. Like I would, if I'm Brian, oh, I'm Cook, not trading Cook, him either. I would say Aaron Rodgers has two options. He can either retire or he will be a Green Bay Packer for the rest of his career. Yeah. And Welcome. we can't wait to spend the next four years Welcome probably show. with Aaron Rodgers as our as our quarterback. When's his contract up? I can check. I think there's like two three years? years left. And even then you can franchise him for another two. So, well, I mean, he ain't leaving. While BK is looking this up, I love this text from the 618. Yeah, there's two years left after this upcoming season. But the I guess the next year is, is void uh, because of this offseason. He was complaining all offseason about the horrible <laughs> talent that's around him as he's throwing to the best receiver in the NFL and two of the best running backs in the league behind the best offensive line in the league. See, there's no from, talent. From the 618. See, this is what marriage does. Now we get an angry BK. Andrew Marsh of The Morning Show just texted me and said, Favorite moment of the year is BK calling Rogers a miserable prick. <laughs> I just Can't don't understand it. it, man. I was I, not expecting that today. I just don't understand it. All right, let's play a game real quick. Oh, let's, yeah. Let's bring up some let's of the play a game. Here because <laughs> when we think about Aaron Rodgers, we just said, would you start him, trade him, or cut him? I think we're all on board. You should probably Retire. just start Aaron Rodgers next season, cut right? Him. Um, let's go through a few of these others because there are a lot of quarterback situations that are going to come to a head this offseason. Daniel Jones, would you start him, trade him, or cut him if you're the New York Giants? 
I don't think you could get anything for him. And I don't know what's out there that's better. So I would say you start him because that team's in purgatory right now. Like, go get yourself a quarterback. Cool. But you have nothing else around him. So I would say keep starting him because sooner or later, you're just going to have to blow it all up. I'm I'm going to cut him because I'm already in purgatory. So I might as well just make it worse and be bad another year. Get Mike Glennon and play with that. Sure. I mean, Daniel Jones hasn't been much better. It can't be a whole lot worse. Yeah. Whoa. I'm, I'm probably going to. I'm going to see if there's trade value for him. Hey, and, and when everybody not. else around the league tells me, yeah, we're not interested in your really bad former first-round quarterback. <laughs> Maybe you can get hey, Randall if, Cobb. If the Cardinals could trade Josh Rosen, there must be some trade value. <laughs> Maybe you can get Randall Cobb. So the problem is next offseason, you would lose $8 million on your salary cap. He is the same amount to keep as he is to trade or cut. So I, yeah, I'll cut keep him, him on the roster. <laughs> Start him. Um, I would prefer to trade, but when everybody again tells me, yeah, we're not taking him, we're not giving you an asset for him, I, I guess I'm starting him next offseason or next year as I have my first round pick waiting in the wings because I am not moving forward with Daniel Jones as my starter. This is a fun one. Baker Mayfield, start, trade, or cut this offseason? I think I'd trade. I think he needs a change of scenery and someone else in the National Football League needs a change of scenery. I don't know who that is. But I think Cleveland's got a team to to compete. They got the pieces. I think you need a better quarterback. I would trade him and see if there's a one-for-one swap that you can bring somebody in. I would start him. I, I think, I don't know if I could move on from him. And He's just kind of an average quarterback for me, but I, I think when he's healthy, I think that's a big thing for him this year is I just don't know if he's been healthy. When he was healthy a couple years ago, he looked pretty, he looked like a guy that could get the Browns into the playoffs and make a little bit of a run. So I think I'm going to start him. I'm going to start him as well. There's nothing you can do here, unfortunately. He's $18 million next year against the cap, and he's $18 million against the cap if you decide to send him elsewhere. He's just too much money. They they made an early decision to pick up that fifth-year option uh, for him, and, and it's locked in. It's guaranteed, fully guaranteed, regardless of injury, regardless of if, if you send him elsewhere. So I, I'm going to go ahead and start him next next year if I'm the Browns. I just don't know that there's another great option for you outside of Baker Mayfield, and I do think... If he is fully healthy, I think that's part of the issue this year. He's just not just not healthy. If he's fully healthy, I think he can get you to ten and seven. And with that running game, and if the defense gets back to full health, I do think you can at least be a playoff contender next year. Next one up, Jared Goff with the Detroit Lions. Are you starting? Are you trading? Or are you cutting Jared Goff for the Detroit Lions? Next Go ahead, T Bone. Well, call him a miserable prick too. Hey, yeah, uh, no, no, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, I just know his contract, so unfortunately, you're gonna have to start him because the Rams didn't do you any favors by giving him that deal. I think he makes like thirty-four million dollars or something like that. There's no trade value. You definitely aren't cutting him. So, sorry, Detroit, you gotta start him. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way you can trade him because there's nothing out there that you're going to garner in this. So, I think the only thing you can do is continue to try and build a really good team around him. And then when the time is right, you make the move for a better quarterback or you draft a better quarterback. But for now, the only option is to start Jared Goff. So I am going to go ahead and start him as well. But you got to get another guy. You got to get your next plan. Whatever the future is for you as the Detroit Lions, you you got to find that guy as well. The next one up for a start, trade or cut. Jameis Winston. Now, this is a little different with him because he doesn't have a contract next year. He is. Is he starting, sitting, or cutting right now? He's hurt. He's hurt right now. So Who's next year, the New Orleans Saints. Right. Would you start, trade, or cut Jameis Winston? Let's do this a different way. Would you start or let him walk if, you're, Jam- if you're the Saints? <sighs> Boy. I mean, they have no options right now. Trevor Simeon is Taysom not good. Hill. Taysom Hill is not good. 
Ian Book? <laughs> I don't know how much I could read into that. Yeah. Star. The poor Ian, guy was getting killed back there. He's terrible. He was, he, was getting, he, was getting, he was bad at Notre Dame, has, man. Whoa. Ian Book was shaking he hands with Tua. I could read Ian Book's mind when he was shaking hands with Tua saying, man, I'm retiring after this year. I'm done. Uh, he's going to be a coach very soon. Hopefully he'll be good at it. Oh, man. You you got anger issues, yeah, buddy. You, you do have anger issues. Is this what marriage does to people? Uh, I'm starting. You tell me, buddy. I'm, I'm starting Jameis Winston next year. Uh, he's my best option out of all of these guys. And unless Drew Brees is coming out of retirement for us, he's my best option to win next year. I don't think there's anybody you can make a trade for. So I'm starting Jameis Winston for the Saints next year. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm starting him next year. He wasn't turning the ball over with New Orleans. He, he only had three good. interceptions. He was, he was actually, he wasn't going, he wasn't taking put a deep bet shots. on him after his first game. After the first preseason game, I put money wow. on the Saints to win the Super Bowl. You know, that one may have been a that mistake, was a but ballsy. I would still start Jameis Winston because he actually looks decent in New Orleans. He's not turning the ball over. I think Sean Payton got to him. The one thing that I would be interested in is if he can take some deeper shots next year because he had been doing a lot of the rinky-dink stuff. But I, I think that if you get more weapons around him, he would. So I would start him. He looked great early on this year in New Orleans in his first uh, six games. 13 touchdowns, three interceptions, and two of those three came in just a terrible game for him against the Carolina Panthers in their second game of the season. He was really good. Uh, It was a very small sample size, of course, but I'm bringing him back. I'm starting him next year if I'm the New Orleans Saints, partially because, as you guys mentioned, you don't have a whole lot of other options. I also think New Orleans is the type of place where a guy like um, Russell Wilson might be interested in going to New Orleans. So if you can get him, of course, yeah, go the Russell Wilson route. If not, though, yeah, I'm bringing back Jameis Winston because I think he's probably your best option going into Don't next forget, year. Don't forget, he did beat that prick Aaron Rodgers in week one. Okay, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll talk with our guy Ben Heisler of Sided. get his thoughts on week 17 in the NFL. There are actually some really interesting games this weekend, so we'll talk them over with Ben Heisler coming up in 15 minutes. But next... Yesterday, Mike Rupp, the former Stanley or the Stanley Cup champion, former NHL forward, he told us he thinks the Blues and the Wild both have better roster constructions than the Colorado Avalanche. Do we agree with that assessment? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You know, the level that the St. Louis Blues and, and Minnesota Wild can get to, I think they're just as good. And, and quite frankly, I think that in some ways they're both better built than the Colorado Avalanche. So um, I, I think those are these are both two teams that I kind of have marked down that, you know, don't sleep on the Blues, don't sleep on the Wild. I think both teams can make a lot of noise come postseason, so this will be a great matchup. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mike Rupp, the Stanley Cup champion, former NHL forward, joining us yesterday on the show, saying he thinks that the Blues and the Minnesota Wild are both better constructed for the postseason than the Colorado Avalanche. Alex, I know this is something that you've been on for a while. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think that the Blues, as currently constructed, are actually a better playoff team than the Avs are? I 100% agree with this. And when I heard him say this yesterday, I'm like, man, somebody else actually believes this because I thought I was the crazy one on this side of the fence. There's one reason that I thought was noticeable in the game last night of why I feel like the Blues, I haven't seen a lot of the wild play this year, so we'll find out on Saturday, but why I feel like the Blues are built better than Colorado. And it's the interchangeability of their forwards. Think about it. You take Buchnevich out of the lineup last night as a late scratch. You don't have Ivan Barbashev. 
any other team, when you take away the hottest line, you're talking about like you take two guys off of the top line for Colorado with Ranton and Landis and McKinnon. You think they're going to perform the way that they usually do? I don't think so. The Blues have the ability to put Thomas and Cairo with Tarasenko and they score seven points in a game against the Edmonton Oilers. Colorado doesn't have that. Colorado, when you take McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen out of the lineup, they have a noticeable drop-off. You take three of the top nine forwards out of the Blues roster, it's not a noticeable drop-off. You can interchange anybody there. And that's Mike Rupp went on to say that about how good this team is when it goes through the depth of their roster. That's why Colorado, in my opinion, is not built the same way that the Blues are. Colorado was built that way last year, not this year. Yeah, I I think last night was a great example of what the Blues can be at their at their peak. When this team's healthy, I mean, forget the fourth line for a second. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to put down what they are, but the top three lines that they're going to be rolling, any of those on any given night can be your top line. And that is something that very few teams could say. The Tampa Bay Lightning last year could say that about themselves. And when you look at what the 2019 Blues were, they could say that about themselves. That is, I think, I do think that is something that if you are going to win the Cup, you need to have. You need to have the ability to roll at least three lines. Sometimes we say you got to roll four. I don't know how true that is at all times. But every year you've got to be able to roll at least three. And the Blues are there right now. I think you do. I think it's important to have that fourth line that it has an identity for you. If you have three dominant lines, though, I think you can get away with just having a solid fourth line. And the Blues might have that. It may be something where, like, you look at their fourth line and it's pretty darn good, but those top three lines are really what you're going to win behind this year. you got to have a fourth line that, that does more than what we saw last night, where, I mean, these guys are getting five, six, seven minutes a night, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you're not expecting Walker Torpchenko and Jake Wallman to be getting 12, 13 minutes a night. But... The four, the reason you need a fourth line who can be a scoring threat like Sunquist, Barbashev, and Steen was was because other teams can't do that. It's very rare for fifty percent of the league to have a fourth line that they trust going up against another line. And when you're on home ice, where the Blues have the final change, and you can throw your top line out against the fourth line, well, they're going to try and do a quick line shift to get their top line out there so that they can shut down the top line. It's the interchangeability of where you can shift guys around. Think of what the Blues did against the Dallas Stars. They put Sammy Blay in late minute for that game, and he scores a big goal. Zach Sanford plays in the top line against the Boston Bruins in Game 7. He scores a goal. Joel Edmondson doesn't play in Game 7 against the Boston Bruins. The defense shuts the door. You have to have the ability to move things around and put pieces in places that they're not. The Avalanche had that last year. The Avalanche's third line had Brandon Saad, who had 20 goals for them. They don't have that anymore. Now they got a couple of guys who are younger players who have not been in the playoffs. You know what I do find interesting, though? You know who the only other team is in the NHL other than the Blues that has at least five players with 10 or more goals? Colorado. Isn't that crazy? Like, as much as we do talk about their lack of depth. How many of those are defensemen, though? Uh, Just one, Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. Mm. It's just kind of wild to me that you have uh, the two teams that we were talking about that are so dissimilar in Mm -hmm. the way that they are constructed. They are also winning in the same way. Yeah. And that they have the depth of scoring 
I, I do think that the Blues, if you look especially defensively, they, they are deeper there. They're missing. They would like to have their Kale McCarr. Um, but hey, Scott Perunovich, remember I told you guys. Absolutely. But they are winning right now in the same way. Yeah. It's kind of wild to see it that way. I just I really think that's going to be the difference maker. And you asked if this team's built for built better for the playoffs. And I think that's where this Blues team comes into play here. One, they have guys who have been there before, which I think is important. Like if you look at every single line, someone was on that Stanley Cup championship roster, which is very impactful. But two, an injury pops up. A suspension comes along. Guy gets sick. Well, then guess what? The guy on the third line can play on your top line, and he can be impactful. And I just don't know how much I can say that about other teams in the Western Conference, including Colorado. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, Ben Heisler joins the show to talk about, it's a preview, Week 17 in the NFL. Heist next on 101 ESPN. To more of it, it's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. SPN. Couple quick updates from Blue Skate that would have been great in that Sports Center update. More important things are happening. Shots fired. Brzezinich and Barbashev both on the ice today for the Blues. According to Luke Korak, it looks like they are uh, both going to potentially at least be available to skate with the Blues on Saturday in the Winter Classic. Also, Braden Shen and Oscar Sundquist out there. They were both out there for the optional as well. And Luke Korak adds, I would think Sonny will be ready for Saturday, but we'll still see about Shen. So, Alex, it is at least in play. That for the first time since the Detroit game, if I'm not mistaken, all of the Blues forwards will be available for them in this game against the Wilds in the Winter Classic. That would be, man, that, what a time to be able to get everybody back, potentially. That, that is going to be a classic showdown between two of the best teams in the West right now. And I see what you did there. Did you? I see what you did there. Yes. It's a winter classic showdown. Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. And now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk with our our friend Ben Heisler. He's the managing editor over at Betside, and you should follow him on Twitter. He's at Benny Heis. Always love catching up with our guy. Heis, how you doing today, man? Happy early New Year, gentlemen. What's going on? Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, what's going on is a lot of football <laughs> on Sunday. I think there's 14 games on the main slate between noon and three o'clock. So there is a ton uh, to get into with you this week. I, I think the game of the week is probably, in my mind, Cardinals versus Cowboys. I could understand the argument for Chiefs versus Bengals as well. Let's start out with that Cowboys Cardinals game. If the Cardinals lose this one, as Vegas is predicting, they've got Dallas as a six-point home favorite. At that point, are you completely out on Arizona as a contender in the NFC? Yeah, I I think a lot of folks have been down on them for a little bit, and there's a trend here with Cliff Kingsbury. He's been atrocious after week seven, not just in his NFL coaching career, but also going back throughout his time at Texas Tech as well. Uh, This is somebody that, for whatever reason, cannot make these second-half adjustments. The interesting thing about this game is that you have sort of these two trends going up against each other. On one hand, you have a Cardinals team that's been a disaster in the second half, now going on Kingsbury's third year, right? At the same time, there has been no better team than a Cliff Kingsbury-coached NFL team as a road underdog over the last three years. You now go into Dallas. The the line, by the way, is going to move in this game. 
I don't know why it's been sitting on five and a half. It's actually been a bit stunning to me, considering that the Cowboys are the number one team in the NFL against the spread, that Dak Prescott's home road splits have been a monster at home. Uh, 21 touchdowns, I think two or three interceptions compared to nine touchdowns and eight picks away from Jerry World. So you have all these different trends going up against each other. And I have to think that if this is going to be the opportunity for a public fade, it's going to be this week with Arizona that can likely hang around, probably won't win. But I think they're going to keep this game a little bit closer. I I like the Cardinals quite a bit this week to finally get things figured out, get off the schneid a little bit, and just play better football. They've been uninspired over the last few weeks. So look for Kyler Murray to finally make some plays with his feet, get a little bit more rhythm. Uh, I think it's going to be a closer game than most people anticipate, even with the Cowboys winning. But give me the Cardinals plus five and a half. And if you're on the Arizona side, like I said, I would wait till this game gets closer to kickoff. I think the public's going to push this number up closer to six. Speaking of teams that after a loss this week, you could be out on heist. The Baltimore Ravens taking on a Rams team that has been obviously moving up the charts with Arizona struggles in the NFC West. But with Baltimore, with Lamar Jackson's uncertainty and with their poor play as of late, is this a, a make or break game for them in terms of playoff picture? Yeah, it's got to be, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at the, the current state of the AFC playoff picture, and somehow in the AFC North, you have four teams all potentially alive. Um, you know, Cincinnati looking like they're probably going to be the, the upward team, but they have a very difficult matchup this weekend at home against Kansas City. Uh, Baltimore has lost several games in a row. They haven't been able to figure out their footing. Uh, got blown out last week. Uh, Pittsburgh, by the way, is going to win this game against Cleveland. Ben Roethlisberger is undefeated over the course of his career at home against the Browns. Mike Tomlin has the number one record in covering the spread as a home underdog. He also is several games above 500, winning those games straight up. It's just the Steelers have been a far better team at home. They're going to end up winning this game against the Browns. And I've said this multiple times over the course of the year, guys. At some point, some team is going to put the Browns out of their misery. But the problem is that every team keeps hanging around in the north that they still find a way to be alive mathematically in this race. Uh, but if you're if you're the Ravens, you need to figure out some way to start moving the ball downfield and, and stop some of these costly turnovers. Your defense also has been atrocious. I know they're only minus one in net points this year, but they cannot stop anybody going deep down the field. They're going to need to be able to improve their pass rush this week and get something going because right now four losses in a row after starting off eight and four, or excuse me, eight and three, now looking at eight and seven on the outside looking in for this playoff race is a, a big disaster for John Harbaugh. That's. Uh, did you just say that Ben Roethlisberger is undefeated at home in his career against Cleveland? That's correct. Oh, oh, baby. He he's been in the league high since two thousand and four. They're in the same division. Like they they play yeah. every year. That's unbelievable. They, well, you know, then then then, it, then maybe then, then the the stat is actually thirteen and zero at Heinz Field. I'd have to go back and confirm whether or not he has ever lost the game at home to Cleveland before they moved into Heinz Field. So just, if we're going to go... The answer is no. I'm looking at it now. He has never lost a game at home against the... uh, Heinz just breaking minds. The the Cleveland Browns. He's only lost two games against them in his career. He's tied once. He is... 25 2 and 1 in his career against Cleveland. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, yeah. All right. Our guy Ben Heisler is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Heist, what should I expect between the Chiefs and the Bengals other than just a lot of points? 
I really don't know. And I know that that's a terrible answer to give on a radio show, but I've been so wrong on Kansas City all throughout the year. Every time I finally expect that team to finally get back in the right direction, uh, you know, they end up sort of letting teams hang around. And then over the last month or so, when they've been dominant, when they've covered in, in five consecutive games uh, to get right back to 500, this has been a team that has been incredible. And not in, in, in their, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I, I think that still remains the more exceptional turnaround because we knew the talent on the offensive side. I, I think in this matchup, what stands out to me is, is Cincinnati has some really talented players on, in, on the skill side with Burrow taking shots downfield. Higgins is a thousand yard receiver. Jamar Chase, we know what he's capable of doing. And, and Tyler Boyd is sort of that very ideal slot receiver that's going to be able to move the chain, catch a bunch of passes in traffic. And they have a really good running back in Joe Mixon. I, I think their game plan, if they're going to be able to cover the five this week, is it has to be more of a Mixon style led offense, right? Keep the offense on the field, keep Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey off for as long as possible control drives, time of possession, and then be able to use Mixon after they run him to the ground with a bunch of play-action opportunities, find some of those wide receivers that we were talking about, and then be able to score in the red zone. So you're, I'm with you, BK. I know the defense for Kansas City has been remarkable, and that turnaround is there, but I, I just don't know who else they're going to be able to face up, maybe other than the Cowboys game. Uh, but they were missing multiple wide receivers in that game as well. I don't see the Chiefs defense holding up the way that we've seen them over the last several weeks. So I'm with you on the over, especially before that number climbs to 51. Heise, it seems like a pretty obvious answer here with the Chargers at home against the Broncos. Is it as obvious as I'm trying to make it to where Chargers are going to run away with this one? Because they've struggled over the last couple of weeks. And I know Denver doesn't have Teddy Bridgewater, but Denver is a one win away from the Chargers of being in a tie for this uh, hunt for the playoffs. It's a really interesting game because both of these teams are, are coming off of bad losses. You had the Broncos losing to the Raiders last week and the Chargers somehow finding a way to get 40 points scored on them uh, in a loss on the road against Houston. And, and the Chargers have been one of those teams that tend to play better away from home because most of the time when they go to SoFi Stadium, it's going to feel like a road game. And that's how it's going to feel this way against the Denver Broncos. The Broncos fans are going to travel in this game. Now, the Sharps will tell you that the line has gone in favor of the Chargers all week. This line opened at minus five. It has since gone up to minus six and a half at most sports books. Wouldn't surprise me if this goes up to a touchdown. I think Denver actually is live here. And I know that the Chargers are still one of those teams that, that should be playing much better. But if the Broncos execute their offensive game plan, which is run, 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 that's been the Chargers issue all season long. They have Javante Williams, they have Melvin Gordon, and that's going to make life a lot easier for Drew Locke. If they are successful in their run game, not only do I think Denver covers the spread, but I think they can win this game outright. I'm probably going to go against the sharp movement here, especially if this number goes to seven, because I think Denver's going to keep this a little bit closer than most people anticipate. Heist, final question that I've got for you. The NFL made the move this year to go with seven playoff teams, and as a result, right now, you've got basically the entire league still in play for the postseason. Right. Now, that that's the positive of it. The negative of it is we're probably going to see a couple of bad teams in the postseason. Like right now, the Miami Dolphins would have the seventh spot in the AFC. I'm not sure I need to watch a whole lot more Miami Dolphins football as I watched Monday night, and it was one of the worst football games I've ever seen. Do you like the move to go to seven playoff teams? And who do you want to get those final spots in the AFC and NFC if you had your druthers? 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on Miami. While it's sometimes fun to, to watch a strong defense and their ability to take the ball away, I, I don't want to see any part of that offense. I, I like Jalen Waddle quite a bit. Um, and I think he's one of those guys like in sort of a Tyler Lockett mode where um, he's not being fed the ball deep downfield, but that's an area of the field that I think he could be really good. So right now they're kind of using him like Jarvis Landry mm-hmm. over his time in Miami. And it's just a waste of a lot of talent. So I'd prefer to see Miami out of the playoff mix. I'd much prefer to see the Chargers, uh, despite some of those bad losses this year. Uh, I still contend that that the Ravens are a really interesting team, and I want to see them back healthy in the postseason because I think the league is better when Lamar Jackson is playing and playing well. So I think those would probably be those two teams I'd rather see in over Miami. And, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose the Patriots have been deserving to get to that point and give a lot of credit as well to the Colts after starting off one and four, getting themselves back into the number five spot. Um, But if I had the choice for the number six and seven teams, despite predicting that it would be those two teams at the beginning of the season, I'd rather be wrong and see more compelling football than be right with the Patriots and Dolphins. I'd rather have the Chargers and I'd rather have the Ravens take on those final two spots if it were up to me. He's Ben Heisler. Check out his work over at BetSided. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Benny Heis. Heis, have yourself a happy new year, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with, with us throughout the year, and we will talk with you again soon, my friend. Looking forward to it, boys. Happy New Year. You got it. That's Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. Alex, if you had your choice and you could have any of the teams currently in contention for that seventh spot in the AFC, you could – hit a button and that's going to be the one that ends up getting into the postseason. Your choices are the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Chargers, and maybe you could make a case for the Raiders, Steelers, Browns, or Broncos. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to make a case it, for any of those. But if you wanted to, I, I would allow you to do so. I would go Dolphins. Uh, I think, You would want to see Yeah, that. I think I'd like to see the Dolphins. I'd like to see if that defense can do anything, but more importantly... You like watching paint dry. Yeah, I love paint. Well, it's fun to do, actually, because you see a product finish. But okay. I, I think... I'd be curious of what Tua looks like in the playoffs. I just, nothing about the Ravens excites me. And especially if Lamar Jackson's going to be 50%, you're not going to get the same Lamar Jackson excitement. And the Chargers may not be like watching paint dry, but it's like watching, I, I don't know, something a lot worse. <laughs> it's like watching your kid ruin the paint dry. You know what? It's actually more like actually painting because it's just obnoxious task that you have to do and you know it's just going to fail at some point. I don't know. It's like watching Mad Max for me. I never know where it's going to go, but I'm enjoying it while it's happening. Mm. <laughs> it's it's really fun to watch the LA Chargers. Give and me an opportunity to see two on the, on in the spotlight and let's see if he's actually got what it takes. I, I'm in on the Chargers. You guys know that, though. I know. I, You're obsessed with there's two people you don't argue with about BK, Justin Herbert and Harrison Bader. It's a great point. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Joey Vitale joins the show in about 20 minutes or so. This one comes from the 314. Boys, do you think that the weather and how cold it is going to be on what, Saturday? Saturday's the game? Saturday. Saturday will affect the Blues' performance during the Winter Classic. Vladimir Tarasenko was asked about this last night. Vladimir Tarasenko grew up in Russia. It's not going to affect his performance. His response, and it was very quick after the question was asked, was, I think our equipment guys will have that taken care of. Yeah. 
Richie, Mat- Richie Matthews, Matthews is their equipment guy, and I think he's been in the league over 17 years. So, like, guy's been around the block a few times. So, uh, I, How I'm many re- times has he been the equipment guy for a game that's played in negative 10 degrees? Probably though? never, but uh, you never say never. I, I'm really curious of what this is going to look like, though, because, you know, when it's this cold, the ice gets really chippy. So you got to make sure that the, the skates are as sharp as can be. And obviously, when you're out there for 20 minute periods, they're going to get dull after some time. So that on top of how cold it is and how it's going to affect these guys breathing and cardio and conditioning, some of the best shaped athletes in the world. But when you're playing in minus 14 degree weather, there's going to be a difference. So I don't know if it's going to affect just the Blues game. I think it's going to affect the game overall. If you were betting on this, I would expect it to be the under because I'm not sure how much wheeling and dealing there's going to be in that cold of weather. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 309. What is more likely to happen? That was yesterday, but I'll allow it. The Titans get the number one seed in the AFC or they lose their division. The number one seed in the AFC for the Titans or they lose their division. So right now they are 10 and five. They are one game back of the Chiefs. However, they do have the tiebreaker head to head against the Chiefs this year. The Colts right now are nine and six. So they are one game back in the division. The Titans remaining schedule is against the Dolphins at home and they finish out the year at the Texans. So which one would you say is more likely in your opinion, Alex? The I Colts would, have the Raiders and at the Jags. I would say it's more likely that they have the best record in the AFC because I, I'm not sure if the Chiefs can beat the Bengals this week. I'm... I, uh, it, it would be a surprise if they did beat the Chiefs, but I think that can make it pretty competitive. And if that's the case, I, I don't see how Tennessee loses to Miami or Tech or Houston. So I would say it's more likely that they get the best record. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just don't see Tennessee losing those final two games. So I, I can't see them losing the division. So I would have to say it's more likely that they would win the AF, a, win the AFC, have the best record in the AFC because I'm with Alex. I could see the Chiefs losing to Cincinnati this weekend. I'll be the hater. I'll go the other side. Yeah, of course you will. I think it's more likely that they lose the division because I would not be surprised to see the the Titans lose this week against Miami. I will predict the Titans to win. It would not surprise me, though, that if they lose, and I think Indianapolis is going to finish the year, as long as Carson Wentz is able to play this week, and it seems like it's at least trending in that direction. I think the Colts win their final two games. I think it is at least in play that the Titans lose this weekend. And if that were to take place, Indianapolis would finish first in the division. And I do think that the Chiefs, surprise, surprise, will beat the Bengals this weekend. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Titans more likely to finish second in the division and like fifth, I guess, in the conference than it is that they finish with the number one record in the AFC. All right, final question here from the 314. Hey, BK, saw your tweet yesterday about the winter numbers on the show. How did you guys finish? Uh, We don't talk about this a ton on the show, um, but since yesterday we got the winter numbers for uh, the ratings. Boys? Yeah. We did it. What did we do? We were the number one midday show in our target demo in the city of St. Louis for October, November, and December. Oh! The number one show in St. Louis in our Target demo. You like us. You really like us. I didn't know it was possible. And listen, this is not us bragging. I don't know why you guys like this show so much, but apparently you do. Um, 
we seriously cannot thank you enough. This is typically our downtime when it comes to the numbers for the show because, to be honest, a lot of people listen to Christmas music and the Cardinals aren't in season right now. And in the month of December, the Cardinals haven't even been able to make moves. And you guys have continued to make us your choice during the middays. And we seriously are so unbelievably grateful. Uh, what we do is not possible without you all listening. So, a huge, huge thank you to all of you that make what we do possible. Um, it it was humbling and pretty damn cool to see that yesterday. I, I didn't know that was going to be possible. Yeah, it was a heck of a year in 2021 to go through all of this stuff with all of you. And it makes work fun, at least for me. And I know it's for you, BK and Tanner as well. But it makes it fun coming in here knowing that we have the interactions on the text chain. We hear people talk about us on the outside and they give us trouble about what we say on the air but they have fun with it it makes this exciting and you don't like i tell people all the time i don't work for a living like i get to do this for a living and it's much different so can i ask you about something though please um you put the tweet out yeah why do you hate st louis man what do you mean you put a tweet out talking about how you know we get the number one spot for the ratings and how great everyone is and then you use a gif but you use a ludicrous gif okay talking about <laughs> i'm coming for that number one spot brother it's nelly and it's i am number one F- uh fair critique you use that one and i do appreciate that you called me out for it it's fair um this is this is probably the single biggest issue that we have here on the show is that i'm not from here <laughs> and it, it just holds hates us, us back quite a bit he just and hates us my number one issue is i didn't understand the reference oh, so jeez, oh, that's brutal and i was just gonna read this text that says i just listened for tanner's sweet voice oh well thank you and i respond maybe that is a uh, single female who would oh. love to go to dinner sometime alex said it i do want to reiterate it the only thing I've ever wanted to do is this. This is this yep. has been my the only thing that I've ever wanted. This has been my goal. Um, and we don't work like we come in to do this show every day. And I get to talk to two guys that I consider to be two of my best friends in the world at this point. And we talk about nonsense, like what are the Cardinals going to do in the offseason and which line should Pavel Buchnevich and vladimir tarasenko and robert thomas play in play on two weeks from now like that's the stuff the the nonsense that we get to talk about and it's fun and we have a blast with you guys and you are all awesome and you make fun of us on the text line and we can't thank you enough for that uh it's like this one great not all of us like you two sorry (laughs) that's 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 what we're here for we love that we love that and we should also say alex uh, this show is what it is in large part because Tanner is a bleep oh, yeah. awesome producer. Unbelievable. Um, Not just a producer, are, but third oh, voice on this show. Yeah, we are hugely uh, appreciative because of everything that he's done for us as well. People have heard this show with one of us three out. And it's, it's not, not the same. We've said we say it all the time. And God bless Jeremy Rutherford and Mark Saxman and Chris, Mark Saxon and Chris Kerber that come in and help us. But it's not the same when it's not the three of us. And that's a lot because of what Tanner does with the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's been awesome to do this. And so this is enough of us patting ourselves on the back. Coming up next, well, no. the six three six says we're the real stars. <laughs> you, you are, are the real stars <laughs> the, in this. The one. text line, the listeners, you guys are legitimately what makes this show. We'll go. call it Ferrario and Company from now on, and you guys can be the company. Coming up next, we're going to play a game called Mo M O Your Role. Each Cons. of us is going to come up with one or two moves that we think that the Cardinals should make the rest of the offseason. 
And the other two will play the role of Mo and Gersh. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Enough of the back padding for us today. Whoa. Now we're going to pl- do a little role play. Oh, <laughs> this is Tanner's specialty. Hey-o. We are going to play a game School called girl. Mo, your role. So one of us is going to pitch an off-season move for the Cardinals, and the other two will play the role of Michael Gersh and John Mosaylock. So, for example, Alex, we can get started with yours. Alex is going to pitch a signing, a trade, something he believes that the Cardinals should do. And, Tanner, would you like to play the role of Michael Gersh yeah, or John Mosaylock? I'll be Gersh. He'll be Gersh, and I will be John Mosaylock, and we'll do a little role play for the next oh, 10 minutes. This is... Do you have some? Like. Yeah. Is this, some? Is this the oh same boy. as the wedding music? Nah, I figure you'll like this one. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay, Ferrario five time. Hold this on. isn't the five moves that Alex Ferrario thinks should be made. Nah, the one move that Ferrario feels like is the best fit. move to make. All right, Alex, what are you pitching? All right, are we ready? Michael Gersh, John Mozeliak. Let me get my bow tie going here. Gersh, All right, fix your hair. to go. Put your tie on. Thank you. Here we go. Hold on, let me roll up the sleeves. All right, the sleeves are you up. You got glasses on? Bow ties on. Glasses Give are set. Give me your best Mo impression. Well, Alex, sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Boys, I got a trade is for it, you. Is, is this going to be an Albatross contract for us? No, no Alex? Albatross here, Mo. Okay. I don't, even no know what, I don't even know what Gersh really sounds like, so. Just Baseball. speak really fast. <laughs> All right, Mo, Michael, I got a trade for you. I know you've been looking for a bat. And I know you're questioning what your infield is going to look like. I'm looking for a reliever. Look, our team's not going anywhere right now. By the way, I'm the Arizona Diamondbacks GM. I feel really good about us to win 90 games. Okay, uh, Mo, shut up. I'm talking here right now. Whoa. (laughs) Michael, nobody asked you. I'm going to give you guys Cattell Marte. We ain't going anywhere. Marte's got a couple of years of control. Stays healthy. He's going to be a stud in your lineup. He's the bat that you're missing. All I want in return are a few top prospects. Well, I'm gonna prospects? take I'm gonna take Paul DeYoung off your hands. By the way, guys, take Paul. We'll take him. We love well, we, him. We really <laughs> like Paul. Okay, yeah. Mo. What did I t- what did I tell you a little bit ago? Give me Nolan Gorman, Michael McGreevy, and Mason Wynn, and you have Cattell Marte. Oh, and Paul DeYoung. Put Paul DeYoung in this one. And you have Cattell Marte, somebody who can play second base. You could put him at shortstop. His bat is going to change your lineup. Gorman, McGreevy, Wynn, DeYoung, Cattell Marte is yours. Is it okay if I answer this one for you, Mo? No. Michael, I'm talking to Mo here. Yay. I'm GM. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I got you, Mo. I hope your ticket was a two-way trip because we're not taking that offer. You can fly back to Arizona. Hold hold on there. (laughs) Michael, Oh, oh, sorry. I I jumped the gun? Hold on there, Michael. I thought we weren't getting rid of our top prospects. A two-way ticket. I was just calling you guys. I'm going to have to do this in my voice just because it's going to be a little longer of a conversation. (laughs) I can't can't sustain that. Uh, We've got three years of club control here, uh, Michael, on a gentleman who is 28 years old in Cattell Marte. Over the last three full seasons that he's played, I understand he's been hurt, and there are some injury questions here. He's hit 320 with an OPS of 920. 
We can play him at second base. We can also use him as a designated hitter if we don't like the defense that we're seeing from him. And what we're giving up is the guy who otherwise would be playing second base for us slash DH and Nolan Gorman. So this is his direct replacement. We're giving up our first round pick from last year that we do believe is going to be a very good starting pitcher. And we're giving up Mason Wynn, who we're not really sure what he projects to be in the big leagues. And we still get to keep Jordan Walker and all of our other top prospects in the organization. Gersh, I really think we should consider this. I, I think we should pass. We got six years of control on everybody that you just mentioned in this deal, except Paul DeYoung. Let but. me try and sell this to you guys a little bit more. And, and we get a win. We're trading, we're trading Paul DeYoung. Oh, we love Paul E.D. Let me try and sell this to you guys a little bit. By too. the way, we only add a million dollars in payroll by making this move for this year. And gives you some money to spend on pitching in the offseason still if you want to add that bullpen. But let me try and sell you guys a little bit more on this. Nolan Gorman might be the future second baseman for you. But defensively, he doesn't match the identity of this team. Tommy Edmond is your everyday second baseman. Tommy Edmond can be a shortstop for you if you need him to. But Tommy Edmond can now become your super utility player. You want him at DH, you want him at second, you want him at short. Hell, you want him in the outfield. You have the option to do this now. Michael McGreevy, although he might be in your rotation 10 years from now, you want to win right now. And Mason Wynn, Mason Wynn can't decide if he's a shortstop or a starting pitcher. You know who can decide who he is? An all-star second baseman who can hit leadoff for you, get on base, provide power, and be a cornerstone for you moving forward. Gersh, let's take a vote. What do you think? I say, I'll say we'll pass. I'm the vote that matters, and I'm doing it. Ka-ching! <laughs> Pull the deal. Cattell Marte, congratulations. You're the newest Cardinal. All right, Tanner, you're up. I will play the role of Michael Gersh. T- uh, Alex will be John Mosellock on this one. All right, Mo, love the bow tie. Thank Gersh, you. love the hair. Bill, I'm going to need that wall to open up a little bit here By for this way, one. By the way, I do love Michael Gersh's hair. Michael, your hair looks great. He has fantastic hair. Flow, baby. All right, hit me with it. So we're going to solve this shortstop conundrum. We're going to sign Trevor Story five years, $105 million deal. Now, uh, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Five for 105 now before before you throw up in your mouth there, Mo. <laughs> Already done, but we're go gonna ahead. we're gonna move Paul DeYoung and Hell Rondon or Jordan Hicks and Alec Burleson to the Oakland Athletics for Lou Trevino. One of their top relievers. He's gonna remind me a, a lot coach? of Luis Garcia. We're gonna make these two moves and we're gonna be World Series bound. I almost said Super Bowl bound, but <laughs> we're so we're trading football. Paul DeYoung and who else? And Hell Rondon. Or Hicks, whatever floats your boat, and Alec Burleson to the Oakland Athletics for Lou Trevino, who makes $2.9 million and has two more years of arbitration. 29-year-old reliever who pitched 73 innings with a 3.2 ERA last year for the, the age, just Art for anybody who's not ball, familiar. Sinker, ball thrower, reminds me of a Luis Garcia. Okay, so we're getting a really good reliever to help us at the back end of the bullpen, and we're signing Trevor Story to a five-year deal worth $100 million. Pretty much. Mo, I will say to you as Michael Gersh, I've got great hair. I really think I'm having a good hair day today. Hell yeah, you are. Tighten up your tie, though. I would not do this. I don't think that we should be signing Trevor Story to a five-year deal worth more than $100 million. If he's willing to take a one-year deal, and we'll even overspend, we'll do a $25 million deal. I'm willing to do it. If you want to do it with an option for the second year, I would be willing to do that. I don't feel good about tying ourselves to Trevor Story for the next five years when I'm not sure 
if he's going to be able to return to form or if what we saw last year is what he is going forward. Okay. I don't know that he's a shortstop. I think he might be a second baseman for us. Well, let's 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 look at this piece by piece here, Michael. And Mr. Hendricks, going to appreciate you bringing this offer to the table. Thank you. I have a PowerPoint. If we need to get to that. No, that's too. okay. Okay. Do we're on the radio right now. I'm not moving Jordan Hicks. So Rondon and Burleson for Trevino. Not a bad looking deal. I think this this guy's going to look pretty good on our roster. But you're right, Michael. I'm not giving Trevor Story a five-year deal. I'm just not doing it. I think, personally, as John Moselak, the president of baseball operations, Paul DeYoung and Trevor Story are going to be the same player for us if they were here. And I don't want to be tied down for a five-year deal at 20-plus million for this shortstop where I have a guy that is cost-controlled. What is he, 10 million right now? Michael, you know the numbers. I don't know. <laughs> for DeYoung, yeah, six. I, I don't care about the numbers. Six to nine. I also got Edmundo Sosa. And I feel like this guy's got some talent that I want to see if he can turn into something for us. So, Michael, you're spot on with this. Go ahead and tell Mr. Hendrickson to get the hell out of here. All right, we're out on this. Final one. I will play the role of the pitch man. Alex, you're Gersh. Yes. Tanner, you're Mo. I would like to present you guys with one of the five best hitters in baseball over the last three years. Oh, God. That's crazy. That's totally crazy. In the last three seasons, <laughs> the only players with a better OPS than this gentleman are Soto, Harper, and Freddie Freeman. Giovanni Soto? His numbers in that stretch would rank first on the Cardinals in batting average, on base percentage, and slugging percentage. To put this in context, his OPS, in fact, over the last three years is 80 points higher than Paul Goldschmidt's OPS in that same stretch. In that span, he's hit 290. Presentation taking too long. With 90 home runs and 230 RBIs. Guys, I want to remind you, last year was a 60-game season. He's a little bit old. A little bit. But these last three years were his age 38, 39, and 40 seasons. I think you can assume that he's going to age well. I would like to present you with Nelson Cruz on a one-year, $10 million contract. I am presenting you a top five hitter in baseball, and I am presenting you your new fifth hitter in the lineup, Nelson Cruz. And what was that contract? A one-year deal worth $10 million. It would be our last move of the offseason. We would not be able to improve the bullpen the way that we were hoping, but we could get Nelson Cruz and he would solidify our lineup and we would immediately become a legitimate contender. Mo, I'm going to make this short and sweet for you. You are insane not to sign this deal. Hmm. A one-year $10 million deal for a dude who's going to hit 40 bombs for you. I know we dropped the ball in right field in the World Series. St. Louis is going to love him. If you don't sign this deal, I'm walking out. Michael, we have impact bats in our lineup in Dylan Carlson. Paul DeYoung's going to rebound. Don't you dare say he's going to block Juan Yapez. We have Juan Yapez coming. Oh my. And we've got Nolan Gorman coming. We need bullpen help. We need a reliever. That's where our $10 million go. So I'm going to use my Mo. Trade your damn relieving this is my help for Mo impression right here. At the end of the day, we're not going to do it. Okay. Well, you we're were insane. Pass on Nelson sir. Cruz. And we're going to go get a bullpen arm. So today we traded for Ketel Marte. We did not make the move that Tanner Hendrickson proposed. No story. Or Lou Trevino. Lou Trevino. Great basketball coach.
And there will be no Nelson Cruz on your St. Louis Cardinals. So congratulations, Cattell Marte, your new starting second baseman, maybe. Probably new DH going into 2022. Let's go win ourselves a damn World Series, boys! With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to some deals that the Cardinals could have made over the last decade, decided not to. How many of those do you still wish that they made? We'll talk about it in about 15 minutes. Joey Vitale coming up next. Well, that's cute. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Welcome back to BK and Ferrario with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, And right now we're very happy to go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network and 101 ESPN. He is Joey Vitale. Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah. Joey, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Doing good today. How are you guys? Doing really well. Man, that was a that was a really fun Blues game last night to watch against the Oilers. What was your biggest takeaway from seeing some of the guys that had been off for so long back on the ice? Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I think Cairo and Thomas, especially the way they look so comfortable so quickly, you know what I mean? And, and that's a lot. I mean, they're still young kids. I mean, we're still, I know they've been in the league a few years, but, but they're still very young. I mean, um, you come in the lineup, do you, you kind of like feel your way out or you just kind of jump right in? And I thought that's what was so impressive. Uh, Thomas and Cairo, Cairo especially. Just the fact that you just jump right in, Gosh, he looks so confident with the puck. We talk so much about his, his feet and how they're connected with his hands in the same level. And, you know, so much is always said about Connor McDavid's speed. I think it was a, a wonderful to see Kyrou against McDavid last night. I don't think uh, Jordan Kyrou will ever be quite what McDavid is, but he's pretty close. I mean, he's really close. The speed, the creativity, the handwork, um, and all, 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 you put all that together. And, and Kyrou, to me, outplayed Connor McDavid last night, and he just kind of jumped right in. And I love that line with Thomas and Tarasenko. Those, those guys were certainly hot. Uh, that that was a big standout for me, and then and then the second thing to me really that stood out was young Nico Mikola, another young guy. Uh, a lot of young guys just taking a huge step this year so far for this Blues team, and Nico certainly did a great job last night with Colton Pareko shutting down not only McDavid but also Drysaitel, and he did it with such swagger in, in the sense that he 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 shut him down, but he also was physical. He always, a couple times McDavid had the puck would move it, and and Nico would actually take an extra stride to step into him, kind of like Chris Pronger style, which was kind of cool to see. I know that we've we've really missed Jay Bomey service since he had to retire. Um, could Nico Mikula be that guy down the road for us? I don't think he is there yet, but could he be that calming presence on that left side to be to, to move this this top pair in the right direction in the next five, ten years? Maybe we'll see. Joe, that's where I was going to go next because I was really impressed by the defense last night. Not just Mikula, but Pareko and Krug and Falk. I mean, those guys were matched up against the McDavid and Dreisaitl lines, and it pretty much eliminated those. How much are you starting to believe and buy into this defense now? You know, I, I believe in it a lot, Alex, and it's not just because of the decor, but uh, you know, I, I look at the way the forwards have, have really connected with this group on the back end. You know, we talked to Mike Van Ryan after the game last night, and, and I was talking about, hey, you know, give, give us some insight about how proud of your, you are of your D group. And he kind of leaned towards them a little bit, but then he pulled away a little bit in the sense that, hey, it wasn't just them. Uh, the decor to me, through the neutral zone and the D zone, it's really from the help of the forwards. And so you got to give so much credit, not only to the D who did a great job last night, but that high forward. I think the blues had a bit of a, more of a passive uh, neutral zone and almost a bit more of a passive offensive zone last night. To me, that's what it seemed like really extremely disciplined third guy high. Uh, instead of chasing the game, instead of chasing these players up and down the ice, 
just kind of play that third guy a little bit more passive. What that does is that's going to set up a great neutral zone trap for you. It's going to set up that high guy that he can really push the pace in the neutral zone. When the other team's got that puck, he can kind of pinch him off the neutral zone. You allow the defenseman to step up because if the defensemen step up and get beat, then you got that third forward coming back to help. So to me, it's all that support, which really comes from the forwards. So it really is a collective effort. You really can't put one finger on Bennington or put you know six fingers on the defenseman. It truly is 18 guys all working in sync together uh, with that committed um, that committed sense of this is how we want to play in the defensive zone. And I thought uh, last night was some of the best we've seen all season. Joey, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about Vladimir Tarasenko coming off of his game last night. A goal, a couple of assists. This is just continuing what's been a trend for him. He's now at a point per game so far this season. What have you seen from Vladdy's game of late? And is this something that at this point we just assume is going to continue for the remainder of the season? I think it could. I think it should. You know, I think that, you know, a couple things stand out about Tarasenko this year. I think he was put for the most part of the season with, with Robert Thomas. And this is, this is no dig at the centerman that Tarasenko has been with. Um, but they, they were more, I would say, like you look at Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly. Those guys are kind of those rugged blue-collar blue collar style of players, right? I don't know if it's a player on the team with the creativity and, and maybe the hockey sense uh, especially around the net, like Robert Thomas does. The way he can look off passes and look off players is, is truly remarkable. So, number one, Tarasenko's been playing a lot this season with Robert Thomas. That, that, that's, that's huge, right, because you're with a playmaker in the middle. Uh, number, number two, look at that goal last night. I mean, his goal last night, just put that, put that goal in a snapshot for what, how successful he's been all season. To me, the reason why he's been so successful is because of what he did on that goal. And it wasn't the shot. It wasn't the move. It wasn't him getting open in the offensive zone. It came all before that. He started that play in his own zone. He, saw, he sees Kairou going up to the ice with it, and what does he do? Boom, he moves his feet. He gets going. That, that, to me, is what has been the biggest thing about his game and why he's been so consistent this year. He's not waiting. He's not falling behind. He's just going. He's just being uh, very decisive with what he's doing. He's intentional about his skating. So on that play, he's on his own blue line. He goes, boom, flies the neutral zone, cuts right through the middle with speed. He loses all the defenders behind him collects that puck, makes a nice little move to change the angle, and boom, it's in the net. But it all happens because he's moving his feet. So he, he, to me, the, the two things that are huge, he's got a great playmaker in the middle with Robert Thomas, and he's just moving his feet. He's initiating. He's being proactive. He's not reacting. And I think we put those two things together. To me, that's why he's been so successful this year. Joey, as we're talking, Craig Berube just told the media that Barbashev is cleared to play on Saturday in the Winter Classic, a game that people will hear with you and Curbs on the call Saturday right here on 101 ESPN. And Buchnevich, as of now, is expected to play on Saturday as well. He was out at skate this morning. If, if you had to project what you think that line's going to be with Vladimir Tarasenko, do you keep Robert Thomas there? And if so, what do you do on the other side? You know, I think you absolutely have to keep Robert Thomas in the middle with Tarasenko and Kyrou because of what they just did last game. There's no way you can pull that away. And I think if you ask Vladdy, I mean, he'd be happy either way. But I think he's very content with having Robert Thomas in the middle. Uh, but the good news is you have options, right? I mean, who knows what Buchnevich is going to show like for, for Saturday. That, that, to me, is going to be another one. Now, he's out because of illness. But if it's, if it's just an illness and it's not COVID-related and he can play, on Saturday, I mean, to me, that's a perfect fit for Barbashev because Barbashev and Bushnevich have been so great together. So there's a lot of different things that can happen. There's a lot of different things that can kind of, kind of, kind of come up of, of this. But uh, to me, Barbashev's at his best when he's in the middle. Uh, is it something where you move uh, Tyler Bozak to the wing or do you move Tyler Bozak down to the fourth line and let Barbashev slide in that third line with possibly Bushnevich and maybe Logan Brown on that side? Uh, plenty of options, but, but the good news is you have options now. Uh, for, for a while there, a couple months ago, even last month to some degree with COVID injuries, 
gosh, I mean, decimated lineup, you know, playing with, you know, 10 forwards, 11 forwards. Jake Wallman has played, I think, half of the games at the forward position, which is absolutely crazy. So the good news is Craig Bruby has options. Uh, the team is playing well. Uh, to me, they're hitting on pretty much all cylinders you can be heading into Saturday's game. And, guys, I mean, what what, what an awesome event this is going to be, not only because you're playing outside, you're playing against a great rival, Minnesota, but you got two of the best teams in the Central who are going to be battling for first place. So, uh, timing-wise, this this truly will be a remarkable winter classic. It's going to be cold as heck up there. <laughs> I know the players are geeked up, excited about it. A lot of cool Minnesota connections with this team, whether it be Prunovic, uh, Justin Falk, Charlie Lindgren from Minnesota. So, just some wonderful stories that you really got to keep an eye on moving forward. Joe, what are you expecting in this matchup? Because, I mean, with all expected purposes, the Blues might have a healthy roster. Minnesota's going to be down, I think, a couple of players. I know Jared Spurgeon's out for a couple of weeks. But, I mean, you're looking at two powerhouses in the Central Division. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heavy game. It's going to be a game full of emotion. I think it's going to be a game full of mistakes, personally, because the guys are going to be so geeked up. They're going to be so excited to play outside. Um, so I think there's going to be uh, actually probably some sloppy execution to start things off. You know, getting used to the ice, that's going to be another thing. I mean, this ice has never been laid down at Target Field. So it's one of those things where uh, the ice conditions probably aren't going to be that great. Uh, but it's just going to be a wonderful event. I, I think if you were asked the coaches and the players alike, they would all say the same thing. Ah, it's not so much about the wins or losses. It's just a cool event to be playing outside. I mean, look at Scott Prunovich, for example. He grew up in Minnesota, uh, went to Minnesota Duluth. Wins a Hobie Baker, and now he's in his home state playing outside where the Twins play. I mean, uh, you know, put that in perspective, it'd be like a kid growing up here in St. Louis, uh, playing at Kirkwood High School, and, and then and going all the way up or Afton or Merrimack or wherever, making it to the pros, and then playing on uh, the, the field, obviously, at Bush Stadium. So just some really, really cool stories. It's not about the wins or losses. It's really just about the experience. I remember being in Chicago on Soldier Field, and we were getting absolutely shellacked by the Blackhawks. Jonathan Taze uh, had, had quite the night. But it was in the middle of a big blizzard. They had to stop the game every two minutes just to shovel the snow off. It was crazy, guys. We'd be carrying the puck down the ice, and all of a sudden the whistle would blow. And we were looking around like, was there a penalty? Too many men? What's going on? And it'd be, no, the refs had to blow the whistle because the snow got too big, and, and no one could really follow the puck anymore. So, uh, to me, we're losing 5-1. to one. I'm looking up at the, the clock, and it's just you're soaking it in. Our coach was smiling. Players were smiling. To me, this game isn't necessarily about X and O's. It's just go out there, enjoy the experience. Enjoy this great rivalry, and uh, I think it'll give the fans a lot, lot to cheer about. Joe, what I am curious about is what does a slash feel like with minus 10-degree weather? It's great. You don't feel anything at all. I mean, <laughs> you're completely numb. You're completely numb. And, uh, you know, no, it's uh, – I remember being on the bench. They have the heaters for the skates, and they're going to need the heaters for the skates. Uh, Curbs and I, we're getting all geared up and ready to go. I got my Carhartt hat. I got my, my long johns, my double wool socks, my boots, and – and we got our binoculars as well. We're going to be a little bit far, but uh, no, all in all, it's going to be it's going to be a warm thing. And if you're a fan, you can sneak some bourbon into the field. I, I recommend <laughs> doing that. That'll warm up your soul. I love it, Joey. Looking forward to hearing you and Curbs on the call. People will hear that fr- uh, Saturday night pregame with Alex begins at five. You guys will have the coverage right here on 101 ESPN. Always enjoy catching up with you, man. Have yourself a, ha- a happy new year, and we'll talk with you again soon. Hey, sounds good. Uh, BK, Alex, you guys have a great weekend as well. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you next week. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale, our friend and the Blues analyst joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Alex, 
I asked about the line with Thomas and Tarasenko. I, I would imagine they're probably going to stick that, keep that together after the success that they had. Yeah, somebody somebody just tweeted me a little bit ago and asked, what would you do these lines as? And honestly, I would keep Thomas, Cairo, and Tarasenko together. Can I give you my projections? Yeah, go for it. So I just put these together. Saad O'Reilly, Piran, I think you, you keep that together. They looked pretty good. I would actually break that up, but keep going. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've got as my third line, Barbashev, Buchnevich, and Brown. Your guy sticking on the third line. And then I've got Sonny. He hasn't played a whole lot this year. Uh, working back in as the fourth line center with Bozak and Costin. That's that's what I've got as my lines right well, now. Well, it sounds like Sonny and it sounds like Shen is going to be available in this one too. At least I don't know. Shen is Shen is up in the air according to JR. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna anticipate he's playing. I mean you give I don't this- know that I would risk it in that weather. I, unless he told me, like, I really want to be in this one, in which case I'm probably playing him as my fourth line center because I don't want to play him a lot. But I I don't know that I would risk it in that in that weather. I, I think because he's been skating and they're going to get an opportunity to skate outside tomorrow before they play on Saturday, they'll get an opportunity to skate day outside. Here's what I would do. Yep. I would put Buchnevich with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron because I just, for some reason, I didn't like Sod up there. It just wasn't working last night okay. other than on the power play. I would keep Kairou Thomas and Tarasenko together. And then my third line is going to be Shen centering Sod and Barbashev because those guys work hard and I don't have to put a lot of pressure on Braden Shen. Line. And then my last line is going to be Logan Brown, Tyler Bozak, and Oscar Sundquist. I mean, if if Shin is available, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and if Shin's not available, then guess what? I'm going to put Barbashev in the middle, and I'm going to keep Saad there. I'll put Brown up, and then Kostin's going to be playing with Bozak and Sonny. Cool. So that's what you've got. There are a lot of options for the Blues for the first time in a long time. They yeah. actually have real options of uh, the guys that we expected to play coming into the season. And according to, to Luke Korak, Baruby saying Bortuzzo and Joshua will stay back, so those two will not be available for this Blues team. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer, but next, how many of these deals over the last 10 years would have actually been good ones for the Cardinals? Talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Today, we did a little role play in a game we called Mow Your Roll. And Tanner suggested that the Cardinals should sign Trevor Story to a five-year deal worth more than $100 million. Glad Mo shot that one down. The reason why I bring that up is because earlier today over on ESPN.com, David Schoenfeld wrote about the biggest contracts that have been signed over the last decade in free agency for for Major League Baseball. Alex, I wanted to go through some of these because it's amazing. There are one, two, three, four, five, at least six players that signed the massive contracts over the last decade that were at least bandied about among Cardinals fans as legit potential targets for the team. Now, I'm not sure the Cardinals viewed them that way, but fans at least wanted the team to go out there and sign these players. So I wanted to talk with you guys about how many of them you think the Cardinals now looking back on it, wish they would have signed that deal. All right. So let's start with the beginning at, in 2012, and our, we'll work our way closer to where we are right now. 2012, the biggest contract signed that offseason, you may remember, Albert Poole signed a 10-year, $240 million contract with the Angels. Looking back, do we all agree, good decision by the Cardinals not to make that move? 100%. That's a great yeah. decision by the Cardinals because you were able to 
keep Yachty and Ueno. You were able to bring in Carlos Beltran, who uh, went on a little bit of a tear for this Cardinals team. And, I mean, frankly, you were able to draft some pretty impactful players. So, yeah, I think this was a smart decision by the Cardinals to move on from uh, Albert Pujols. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you look at it now, the contract did not age well. And plus, with him dealing with the issues with his feet, Neither where are you going to play him? Up top. He aged pretty well. Not kind really. of? No. No, he did not. No, okay, he did not. Yeah, his yeah, foot yeah. didn't age well. Yeah. But, like, if you, that's the <clears throat> issue for the Cardinals. Where would, where would you have played him? in the back end of that uh, contract because there was no DH. He wouldn't have. He would have been a bench bat. He would have been for you what he was for the Dodgers this year, and he would have been that for about six years on that contract. he would have been paid almost $30 million for that. Yeah. You remember how bad it was when Matt Carpenter, in the end, was a a bench bat for you, making, what, $16, $18 million? Now imagine double that for uh, Albert Poulos. That's what it would have been. It was the right move, looking back in hindsight, to not sign that deal. All right, Max Scherzer was... Three years later, the summer or the the winter of 2015, he winter signed a seven-year contract worth $210 million with the Washington Nationals. There are many who believe now, looking back, this is the best free agent contract that's ever been signed. He lived up to every expectation and then some. He won multiple Cy Young Awards. He finished in the top five four other, or, uh, yeah, four other times in the Cy Young Award v- voting. This is one that if you could go back, if you had a do-over and John Mosellock could sign this deal, I think there's no doubt about it. He would love to go back and have a front three in his rotation over the last few years of Scherzer, Wayno, and Flaherty. God, that would have been awesome. What um what year was that? 2015. Yeah, I'm going back and I'm signing this deal because I think you... I think you not only make the playoffs in those three years from 2016 to 2018 that you missed, but I think you're probably winning at least or getting to at least one World Series with him on your team. And you're right. A, a one, two, three punch of Flaherty, Scherzer, and Wayno. And then on top of it, you're not signing Miles Michaelis to that contract, so maybe you're spending that money elsewhere. Um, you you might be able to implement a couple of these younger guys, but maybe you're able to pull the trigger on another bat or sign another bat because you don't need the prospects in the pitching pool that you would have because of Max Scherzer. So, yeah, I'm pulling the deal on that. Yeah, I, I think the Cardinals definitely look back on that one and say, man, that's the one that got away from us. Because Matt, he, I know Cardinals fans don't want to hear this now, but then you probably don't make the you don't make the Mike Leak deal. Yep. You replace Mike Leak for Max Scherzer, and you have Max Scherzer, Carlos Martinez as that one two punch in that 2016 season, and that was probably Seymour's best year. And it, by the way, it made sense as to why they decided not to go this route. You look back at the rotation in 2015; it was John Lackey, Michael Walker, Carlos Martinez, Lance Lynn, and Jaime Garcia. You felt really good about where the rotation was, and oh, by the way, at that point in time, uh, you were getting closer to having. Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver and Jack Flaherty wasn't all that far away either. So, right. Yeah. He was a little further away, but yeah, he was knocking on the door. You had a lot of pitching coming. So I understood why they decided not to go this route. But of course, looking back now uh, over the next five years, let's say, I mean, Max Scherzer was the best pitcher in the national league. And in that stretch, he threw about a thousand innings. So yeah, you'd like to have that guy as your uh, number one starter. The next off season was when they really dodged a bullet. They were in on both David price and Jason Hayward. They wanted to sign both of them. Price ended up signing for seven years, $217 million. Hayward signed an eight year deal with worth $184 million with the Cubs. 
if the Cardinals got locked in on those two deals, imagine how much that would have prevented them from doing over the last few years. At least one of either Arenado or Goldie probably aren't here right now if you signed either of those two deals with Price or Hayward. That would have been the worst deal in the history of John Mozeliak if you would have signed. I'm looking more at David Price. Like Jason Hayward's its own entity, but at least you know you're getting a gold glove with his play in right field or center field, wherever he's playing. David Price would have been a nightmare because he is first year in Boston. They won the World Series, if I'm not mistaken. He won 17 games for him. But after that, the guy couldn't stay healthy for an entire season. So that would have been one of the worst contracts in Moe's history if they would have signed David Price. Thank God they missed out on that. Yeah, and not only with that one, but to your point on the Jason Hayward one, I mean, even then, I'm not sure it would have made sense because I understood what Jason Hayward was. He was kind of a star, but they had a logjam of outfielders even then because I think at that time, if I'm not mistaken, they had the Harrison Baders coming up. I don't know if O'Neill was in the system at that time. They had Gritchick and Piscotty were the two guys at that point that were the big players for him. And I think Pham's in there at that point too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, He was a I think like a Prospect. year away still yeah. at that point so, in time. And, and that they were loaded with outfielders. Mercado was in the system at that time, too, that they were very high on. And Holiday was finishing up his Holiday deal was here finishing in St. Up. Louis. So, yeah, it didn't make sense for them to kind of push that Jason Hayward envelope. So, yeah, they did a great job of avoiding those two bullets. The next one in 2017, I was all in on this guy. I really liked the idea of Yoda Cespedes as a Cardinal. Now, I knew there was no Hmm. chance that the Cardinals were actually going to go that route. Too much swag. Yes. It was very much like this offseason when we talked about the Javi Baez stuff where it's like, ah, it kind of does make some sense given what they need. Okay. That's very different. Cespedes ended up signing a four-year deal worth $110 million. Speaking of dodging a bullet, Cespedes was never a good player after signing that deal with the Mets. and Couldn't stay healthy with the Mets. It came out of nowhere. Wasn't it like he fell off of a, a, um, a horse? And he injured himself. Yeah. Uh, he fell off of a horse. <laughs> yeah. really? It was amazing. Um, and from then on, after signing this deal with the Mets, he played 127 games. That's it? Let me say that one more time. After signing that four-year deal with the Mets, he played 127 games and had an on-base percentage of 330. He just was never the same guy. He couldn't stay healthy. It ended very quickly for him, so they dodged a bullet with that one. The final one that I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on. Is it Bartolo Colon? If you could go back and do it again in 2019, would you have signed Bryce Harper if you were the Cardinals? Yes. Would they be better with Bryce Harper and not Nolan Arenado? Because if you sign Harper, Ooh. there's no chance that you've got Nolan Arenado right now. Boy, that's a tough one. Because he signed a 13-year deal worth $330 million. Yeah, because I don't... Who's playing third base for you? I mean, is Matt Carpenter playing third base for you? Because I don't... I don't think so. God, but having Bryce Harper... Oh, man. I'm going to say, no, they're better off not getting Harper because I think in the long run, you're better off having Nolan Arenado at third base. But man, having him at his age and what he can provide an MVP status, it's gonna it's, it's hard to move on from that. I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. Bryce, yeah. Bryce Harper third. is a legit MVP. You figure it out. Yeah, you I don't figure care. it out. I, I don't know who it would have been, but you figure it out. I love having Nolan Arenado. I don't have any buyer's remorse on that. But if you're telling me I could have Bryce Harper as a mainstay in my outfield, I'm doing it. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next is the Music City Bowl here on 101 ESPN.